This is LBC from Global, leading Britain's conversation with Ian Payne. Good morning, this is Ian Payne in for Steve Allen just for today. It's uh, three minutes past four o'clock, looking forward to the weekend. Probably not as exciting as last weekend with the royal wedding, but you never know, the weather's not too bad. We're going to talk about smoking. Well, we're going to talk about um, immigration, startling figures about immigration coming up later. We're going to talk about uh, Harvey Weinstein, the latest in Morgan Freeman. Love to talk about removing all those emails that you didn't want today. Um, It's a bit of a dry subject, but it's made my day. I don't know about you. I'd like to hear from you if you're a smoker. I'd like to hear from you whether you think your human rights are being infringed or do you actually like the fact that the net is closing in on, and I'll say, us smokers? Because Wales has now decided they're going to ban smoking, not just indoors, but outdoors, in certain selected areas. How do you feel about that? Uh, it's one of those discussions that uh, we've had many, many times. The whole, you know, the rights and wrongs of smoking, all the disgusting pictures that they put on packets now the uh, suggestion that um, smoking in the vicinity of anyone, particularly children, is harmful to them and maybe even fatal to them. Nothing has been proved in that respect. However, the, um, the, the feeling around the world, certainly, and we are in the forefront, and particularly Wales is in the forefront of... Um, very restrictive practices when it comes to smoking, and this time they've gone just a little bit further. So it was Wales who started the indoor smoking ban. Remember, you probably don't remember, there were times when you could smoke in the pub, you'd go in and there'd be this heavy haze, you know, I'd be working late night at work, and um, the whole room would just be filled with smoke. That doesn't happen anymore. Thank goodness, you know, and, and you, you'll probably find that most people who do smoke think that not being able to smoke indoors now is actually a godsend. I have a balcony on my flat where I go. I would never smoke indoors. There was a, what was there? There was one of those hoarding programs I saw the other day. Where when you go in to this guy's house and there's just just bags and stuff everywhere, and and it's the the whole walls were black because he'd smoked indoors for about sixty years or something like that. So you had that, and and you could get this scouring cloth, and they literally moved the cloth across the dark stained walls and as they did so they like those sort of mr sheen ads they just cleared a perfect pathway of white beneath it it was pretty disgusting so the welsh <coughs> government have decided that they are going to take this a stage further now they have decided and they as i said they were the ones in the vanguard originally who said we're going to start off by having this smoking bang and then england and the rest of the uk picked it up and ran with it and now it's just seen as completely normal you don't smoke inside or if you do you know you're either david hockney or you're completely out of touch so i would like to know whether or not you think this is beginning to impinge on your freedom or is it like me something that you wish would I mean in a strange way my problem is I'm weak and also I really like it people say you need you if you want to give up completely you've got to I mean I don't smoke like I used to but if you're going to if you're going to smoke you've got to smoke um in a way that means you you have no desire to do it anymore my problem is I want to do it and the problem is I I like doing it and although I feel I have to give up and I must give up and it's a constant battle to give up I haven't been able to because I just look forward to it it's something I look forward to and it sort of got into my psyche now so yeah I've tried it many many times and um 
I'm, I'm determined to do it one day. But I just want to know from you whether or not you think that this idea of trying to ban smoking could actually work. Or people say, oh, I'll send it underground. I don't think it would. I think the majority of people, if, if tobacco didn't exist, if tobacco disappeared tomorrow and I literally did not have the choice to go into a shop, to go into a garage, to go somewhere and say, I would like to buy that. I do roll-ups rather than cig- other cigarettes because they just don't last long enough. <laughs> How sad's that? So it's probably, what do I do, sort of eight, eight a day, something like that, sometimes ten, I suppose. Um, and I'm just wondering whether you think now we're getting to the stage where you feel persecuted, you feel like I can't have a cigarette anywhere, or, or are you someone like me who wishes in some way that the choice was taken away from you? If tobacco didn't exist, if suddenly every single... Um, every single strand of tobacco, because that's essentially what they are, it's a plant, every strand of tobacco disappeared tomorrow in some, I don't know, some carnage of, of all the tobacco crops around the world. If it disappeared and we never saw it again, you'd have to give up. And it wouldn't kill you <laughs> to give up. You would have withdrawal symptoms, but I'm told that the, twi- the, the um, physical addiction not the mental it's the mental addiction which is so impossible it's the physical addiction of being addicted to this plant lasts for i think it's 48 hours about 50 hours something like that that's physiologically what happens to you and then he talks about how it you know after six months you kind of halved your chances of getting a fatal disease and then it's a year and you kind of it's gone down by another half etc 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 so why are we talking about this we're talking about this because whales uh, is to become the first country in the UK to ban smoking in outdoor areas. Outdoor specifically, school spaces, playgrounds and hospital grounds. Have you ever been to a hospital where you you pull up outside, you pay the exorbitant car park fee, you work out how you actually manage to find a space in a car park, then you walk towards A&E or you walk towards main reception and there are always people outside... On drips, when I say on drips, they are connected to an IV that that is supplying them with whatever it is that they need, and yet they're outside smoking. And it's always seemed to me a, a rather incongruous picture of these people who might be doing that. And you see them and you think, God, I'm glad I'm better than that. And then you go, hmm, am I? Anyway... Far be it from me to judge. Oh. So Wales have decided that they're now going to ban smoking, not just indoors, but outdoors as well. And specifically in outdoor school spaces, playgrounds and hospital grounds. So the government in Wales, Assembly, whichever you'd like to, to call it, that is Labour-led, whether that's got anything to do with this, I'm not really sure. And they say that it will bring in the restriction by the summer of 2019, so next summer, in about 12 months' time, they say that it, it will protect people from secondhand smoke and denormalise smoking for children and young people. Now, most hospitals, as I said in my prelude, have no smoking policies in their grounds already. But the staff, did, had you heard people in the NHS are quite busy? They are, anyway, if you hadn't heard that. Um, and it's difficult for staff to enforce this. Government did say, though, that people who flouted the ban could face fines. Are you a smoker? Do you feel that you're... Freedom is being impinged on. Or, like me, do you wish that your freedom would be impinged on a bit more and it'd be banned in a lot more places? And then, I don't know, I just find that sometimes when I don't smoke, I sometimes forget I haven't smoken. Smoken? Smoked. 
have you, uh, do you ever get that? It's just like you've, if, it, if it's not on you, sometimes you forget. That you, you just, it's that kind of constantly thinking ahead. That's, it's the mental thing. That's why I do it. It's the mental thing. And I do actually like it. it. It is, but the first one of the day is always the best. So, anyway, um, so the Cardiff administration was, of course, as I said, they were the ones who brought in the smoking ban in indoor public places in April 2007. So they were ahead of the game yet again. I'd like to know from you... Well, let me, let me just quote the Welsh Health Secretary, first of all. Vaughan Gething said, I am proud that Wales continues to be at the forefront of UK action to reduce smoking and prevent young people from taking it up in the first place. We've seen significant changes to the attitudes of smoking since 2007. Back then, we received some resistance to change, but we've seen a remarkable culture change, and I'm pleased our plan to extend, to extend smoke-free areas to outdoor public spaces has received overwhelming public support. Hear, hear. Has it, though? 03456060973. If you want to text, and a lot of you have done so already, good morning all, 84850, that's the text number, 84850. If you want to tweet at LBC, uh, text are here saying, I see parents and grandparents pushing prams or holding babies in the street smoking. Put them in prison. What, the kids? Surely not. It's ridiculous, says Tim. A step too far. Just, just a money-raking scheme. We'll be vaping next. Uh, hi, if you're lucky enough to afford to be able to smoke, says Jackie, uh, with, with your job, you should take care of your voice. You can hear it in your voice. Can you? Can you hear it in my voice? I hope not. Uh, vapes are treated the same as smokers. Vapers are so we have to put up with being treated the same, even though they're trying to give up animal for going for the healthier option. And Kai says, let them smoke themselves to death if they want. Graham has been kind enough to ring us. 03456060973 is the number to ring. Graham is in Bradford. What's your feeling on this, Graham? Are you a smoker? I am actually a smoker, Ian, yes, but... Uh... I think they should definitely ban it outside schools. Yeah, I think that's a good I, idea. I, I, I walk, well, I walk past what you could call a poor school. It's an inner city school and it's quite poor. And I see a lot of young mums outside waiting for the kids and they're all chain smoking and, and swigging energy drinks. And uh, it's not a very good example for the kids, you know. So I think they should actually do something about that. That's quite right. In Bradford, in Bradford the hospitals did ban smoking in the grounds. But they found that people were so stressed. I mean, if, you, if you're a patient and you've gone in there and someone's serious or whatever, mm. that uh, people were smoking by the entrances and it caused a lot of problems. Yeah. So they built dedicated smoking shelters away from the entrances. Oh, well, I... So I, I think in hospitals, that's a solution. I agree. I think one. schools, I think hospitals. I'm, what about train stations? I was at Doncaster train station a couple of months ago, and I was having a cigarette outside, and I dropped it on the floor, and I stubbed it out, and this bloke came up to me, and he was like a sort of parking attendant. And he came up to me, and he said, council officer, blah, 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 that's an £80 spot fine. I went, I'm oh, sorry, mate. I'll, so I picked it up and put it in the, in the tray, and he went, no, no, you're not allowed to smoke outside this station. I went, what? He said, you're not allowed to smoke outside this station. That's an £80 fine. And I was like, do you think they should... How far should this go, do you think, Graham? Well, the exact same thing happened to my nephew in York, funnily enough, and he got an £80 fine. And now in Bradford, it's £150 if you drop a cigarette. Is it? It's £150, yeah. Blimey. Is that not... It's not like yeah. a parking fine where it's like 130 quid, but if you pay it within 10 days, it's only 65 no, it starts off at 150 now, then it goes up. Oh, my God. And, and where is that for? Cost, 
Smoking where? Anywhere, anywhere in the Bradford City area, and they've got these enforcement officers everywhere. Anywhere in and the I Bradford think... City area? What, in the town centre? In the town centre, if you drop a cigarette, it's a £150 fine. That is a cash cow, that is them raking the money into But that, hold on, you're, you're, they're being fined for littering, for putting it on the floor, not for actually smoking, surely. No, they're being fined for littering, yeah, for yeah. dropping the cigarette, yeah. <clears throat> I was going to say, you can't, it's not like a ban on smoking. All right, listen, thank you, Graham. So, that's in Yorkshire. What about where you live? How important and how vibrant, if you can put it that way, is the um, smoking ban in your area? Oh three four five six oh six oh nine seven three. You can indeed hear it in your voice. There's another texter here. Really, can you tell I'm a smoker just because I'm talking? Can you? Now you say it, yeah, yeah, come on. If I'd said I'd never speak, you said, oh, your voice is so pure. Okay, I shall try and speak from the diaphragm. <laughs> uh, I'd like to hear from you if you think that the whole idea of a smoking ban, um, the whole concept is misguided. Or like me, do you wish that the smoking ban would actually be even more draconian? But you need to be able to be, at the moment it's very piecemeal. You, you can smoke here, but you can't smoke there. I'd like it to be much more uniform, so they, they would say you can't smoke there and you can't smoke there, and there'd be big signs and all the rest of it. Like I said, I don't want to go through my Doncaster experience again. Like, I thought the guy was joking. He said, I am filming this. And I was like, what? is this a kind of game show? I said, what do you mean you're filming it? Said, filming it in case you want to dispute this fine. I said, how can I dispute a fine? I've been smoking. If it's not allowed, I'm, I, I'm banged to rights. I kind of suddenly say it wasn't a real cigarette. It was actually just a, a hologram. It's not going to work, is it? Oh three four five six zero six zero nine seven three. Where have you been fined for smoking? You don't have to necessarily limit your experience or your story to this country. Have you been fined somewhere else? Oh three four five six zero six zero nine seven three. That's the number to call. You can text eight four eight five zero or tweet at LBC. So Wales is to become the first country in the UK to ban smoking in some outdoor areas outside schools playgrounds and hospital grounds. I think that's an eminently sensible thing to do. Should we start to actually extend that ban even further to more outdoor areas? And where have you been stopped and fined or, or been told there's a ban on smoking outdoors in the UK or maybe in another country? 0345 6060 I'm off to gargle. It's uh, quarter past four. Ian Payne on LBC. Call 0345 6060 Good morning, 21 minutes past four o'clock. Ian Payne in for uh, one morning only, sitting in for um, Steve Allen. Actually, I'll be in my normal programme this time tomorrow morning. Steve's had his cataracts operation, everything was fine. He'll be back very, very soon. So, we are talking about smoking, we're talking about the fact that whales are to ban smoking in certain outside areas from next year. They were the first to bring in the indoor smoking ban ahead of England. They now say that next summer, 2019, they're going to bring in, in Wales, a restriction that means you could be fined if you are found smoking outside, near schools or near hospitals. It's not totally enforceable, but so it's like it's the, it's a beginning of a step towards banning smoking in 
I wouldn't say everywhere, but certain areas. A lot of people are, are saying, just ban smoking tobacco completely, says Stuart. Uh, David says, I'd just be happier if they banned it altogether. And here's me, as a smoker, saying, I would be happier if they just banned it altogether. And then weak people like me wouldn't have to make that choice. It just wouldn't be there. It wouldn't be like going cold turkey for... If I, if, from what one can see of people who take very, very much harder drugs than tobacco and have to be weaned off it, you know, it, it might not kill you, this. This is something that might actually be OK or better for you. I'd love that. And, and, and then it's easy to give up, though, says Stu, who's in Cambridgeshire. I gave up with Alan Carr's easy way to stop smoking. I did. Problem solved. Yeah, no, I've heard about that. Although he did die of lung cancer, didn't he? Alan Carr, despite of all those things. But then again, he was a very, very heavy smoker before. Oh three four five six oh six oh nine seven three. And I, a great friend of mine passed away last year. Um, literally out of the blue. He, he was, uh, how old was he? 52, something like that. Um, never had health problem, never smoked, never, did, wasn't a big drinker or anything. Um, picked up some, I didn't really understand it, but it was something to do with uh, the, the meningitis -y bug that you have, meningococci, I think it's called, that's kind of inside your body all the time. But it's normally under control. And for some reason, his got out of control and then got into his bloodstream. And once it gets into the bloodstream, apparently, that's it. It, it multiplies, it doubles its size or doubles the number of bugs every 20 minutes. So after 48 hours, you know, and then he got sepsis and it, it was horrible. And although it probably wasn't the right thought to have, it was, you know, friends of ours, we all got together and we were remembering him and we raised a glass to him. And um, we just said, you know, this could happen tomorrow. And this whole idea, I'm, I'm not going to smoke because I might get ill. I know, I know, I know, it's a, it's a ridiculous argument, but there was this part of me that was thinking, enjoy yourself up to a point. Do you know what I mean? Rather than not smoke and end up being 95 years old and having all these other things. But anyway, I shouldn't be having that kind of argument because that's completely wrong. 0345 6060 973. And Chris, my producer, nods sagely at that. Nodding sagely. OK, let's go down under. Let's go to Tasmania uh, in Australia. Martin's there. Good day. Hello, Ian. Uh, just enjoying the show. Um, Good. Yeah, there's a couple of points, really. Um talking about banning smoking in public places, outside schools, etc. It's quite strict uh, in Australia, isn't it? It is, yeah. But one thing they haven't seemed to get their head around is the amount of vehicles, obviously, that are loitering around pick-up and drop-off times with, uh, you know, stationary vehicles cause a lot of pollution. And uh, I think that... Uh, I know smoking is bad outside schools, but uh, they could maybe address that point. What would you do about that, then, if we're talking about pollution well, outside lady, schools? Well, LBC had quite a good idea. They sort of set up a, a drop-off drop point. Uh, she suggested in, um, like, a supermarket car park near the school mm -hmm. and have three buses going to the school. OK, I'm just trying to work out how that would... I'm just trying to work out how that would work. Yeah, so in Australia, just like back here, and it sounds like you are originally from here, but, but in, in Australia... Yes. Uh, it's, it sounds to me as if they have the same problems with these big cars outside schools. More, but, I mean, it used to be in the old days that you didn't, you know, of course people took their kids to school, but more and more people either went on the bus or there, there was that sort of fear that I've got to take, you know, my kids to school myself. Whereas now that everybody right, seems yeah. to drive them to school, and that's the same in Oz, yeah. is it? Yeah, got to get right to the gate. Mm, I know. Oh, well, um, never mind. And uh, the other thing is... Yeah. 
Sorry, Ian. Yeah, no, the other cool. thing was uh, a fine for uh, dropping a cigarette. <laughs> in um, we work remote on Aboriginal communities. Right. What so do you do? Nice to get to. Um, well, my wife's a nurse, and I usually tag along and do what I can. <laughs> tag along and uh, do what you can. Okay, fine. Yeah. For instance, I'd work for the local council or something. You All know, right. And, uh, I know um, my my brother does that. He works in Perth and WA and. He looks after oh, yeah. people who live out, in, and that's quite a big countryside to look yeah. after, as you can imagine. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so, so I'm we sorry, were, I digress. Uh, Go on. That's OK. We were in Central, sort of three hours from the nearest shop, mm. um, apart from a service station in, in the town, in a little place where we were. But uh, we got to Melbourne for a bit of rest and relaxation, and uh, my sister lives there, and we borrowed her car. And we went to St Kilda, which is a suburb of Melbourne. Which, yeah. uh, we've got a little bit of a beach going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a lovely day. Got back to the car. Sarah was just getting in the car. She had a cigarette in her hand. She thought, oops. So she just put it right in the corner of the gutter. Uh-uh. And we shut the door. We got back to Central about six weeks later. We had a, an overdue fine. Oh. It took that long to get to us. My God. $600. Six hundred dollars. What's that in 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 pounds these days? Uh, about three hundred pounds. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's so, in uh, Australia, where they've got a little bit more open space than us. That's right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's probably um, you know, it was a naughty. What's thing the what's what's yeah. what's the kind of what's the thinking behind that? Why are they so draconian about something like that? Um. Well, not to be too statist, but the Victorians, you know, people who live in Victoria, yeah. are um, quite hot on uh, the sort of Big Brother side of things. Are they? It, uh, yeah. Um, and, uh, maybe I'm just uh, being a... Uh, You're yeah, a Tassie. Um, Are you a Tassie at heart? Listen, I appreciate your call, Martin. Thank you. How is Tasmania this morning, this evening, sorry? Cheers. Good. Oh, sorry. How is, the, how is the weather there? Well, it's been beautiful all week. We uh, cloudless skies. It gets up to about 15 degrees because uh, it's nearly midwinter's day mm. in four weeks. So uh, it is a bit chilly. It is. Weather. I know. OK, listen, thank you very much for your call. My mum's staying out with... Hi, mum. Is staying out with uh, my brother who lives in Perth in Western Australia at the moment. She's just lapping up the sunshine. I said, mum, it's still, it's still sunny here. She went, it's not the same. I said, but it's, it's winter. She went, it's the light. What? Oh three four five six zero six zero nine seven three. Should we uh, fit in another Martin very quickly, a bit closer to home in Bermondsey? Morning, Martin. What do you think about a, a further ban on smoking this time outside? Me myself, I don't think like really they should ban smoking altogether. What I mean, like, I've never ever smoked myself. Right. But I remember when I was younger, you used to have to go upstairs on the bus to smoke. Mm. Same like in the cafe. I, w- I went in the cafe years ago, and uh, people used to say to me before they eat, hey, smoke, would it be okay if I could smoke? Mm. Now that, I don't mind. So hold on, but if you I were eating think... and someone said, do you mind if yeah. I smoke while you eat? I'll give you an example yeah. of something that slightly got my goat the other day. So I'm sitting outside, it's a beautiful day, I'd finished a shift here, I went for a little glass of wine in, uh, in Leicester Square, absolutely beautiful, and I'm sort of wanting to sit outside so I can have a cigarette, and all the seats, are cl- and you get to that thing like, right, I can't sit on an empty t- table, I have to now 
ask someone else if I can sit at their table. So you summon up the courage and all the rest of it. And normally people are absolutely fine. Say, yeah, of course, sit down, sit down. Is this chair taken? Oh, no. Someone will make a joke saying, is anyone sitting there? Well, it doesn't look like it, does it? You know, yeah. sometimes you get them. But normally, but this, this was an American couple. Sorry, America. And they're sitting there. And I went over and I said, um, oh, do you mind if I sit here? Like opposite them. And they said, um, why? And I was like, I just want to have a drink. Are you going to smoke? I went, um, probably. He went, rather not. And I must admit, I turned around to all the English people who were standing near me, and we all looked at each other as if to say, foreigners. I know, wasn't that terrible? It, but it worked. Eh? Go on, go ahead. I think, I think me, myself, what it is, as I say, I'm, I've never smoked myself, but I don't like being, I don't like people who smoke to be penalised too much. Yeah. Don't now, get me wrong, people who's driving and smoking, that should be like, been on a mobile phone because many a times the end of the dog end could mm. drop. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you, Martin. Thank you for your call. I agree with you. you smoking in cars is another thing. I very, very, very rarely do. It's just so difficult to roll a cigarette <laughs> while you're driving. So don't do it if any law enforcement people are listening. But um, where can I do Yeah, in a, in a pub garden. Or, what are they going to ban smoking in pub gardens? That'll be the next thing. Oh, look at the time. Good morning. Ian Payne on LBC. Call 0345 6060973. I was trying to find the, the strictest country in the world when it comes to smoking bans. I can't find it yet. We're not too far away. Do you know Ireland was the first country in the world, which seems ironic on the day when they finally get around to talking about abortion. Ireland was the first country in the world to implement legislation banning smoking in the workplace as far back as 2004. Wales started their ban in 2007. Uh, England followed a couple of years later. And now Wales have gone even further. They're going to become the first country in the UK to ban smoking in some outdoor areas, not everywhere, but outside schools and hospitals and playgrounds. I think it's an eminently sensible thing. And I speak as a smoker. How about you? 0345 973 Loads and loads of messages on the uh, texts and tweets here. Let me get through as many of these as I can. Stuart says, well, I certainly won't miss running the gauntlet immediately outside the hospital doors whilst taking a deep breath to try and escape other people's disgusting habit. Never, hun never have understood why this is allowed. Oh, it's a thing with three words. T-A-X. Uh, this is from Anonymous. Don't be too eager to give up smoking. Well, there's an interesting start to a text. Do you know that while you smoke, the tar stay, stays fluid in your lungs and usually causes no major problem? Problems arise if you stop and are not in very good health as the tar crystallises in your lungs and this is when you get problems with abnormal cell growth, etc. Who knew? Colin says, I can't believe Ian thinks it's OK to give people cancer quietly, having a pleasant drink outside. Neither might, never mind their nationality. Uh, Ian, now that the summer is here, says Eddie, cafes, restaurants and pubs leave their doors open. The smokers stand outside, but the wind blows the smoke into the premises. It's a good idea to ban smoking outside food outlets and near children, says Eddie. So we're talking about this idea that Wales is going to introduce smoking bans, not just indoors, but outdoors now. But they are in specific areas. And I want to hear from you if you think it's a good idea or do you fear this encroaching end to your liberty? I don't think there's many people that would even if they are hardened smokers, even if they are casual smokers, would feel that this kind of 
creeping legislation is really going to change their lives. As I said to you before, sometimes I wish the choice was taken out of my hands and they would just get rid of tobacco completely. I wish tobacco had never been invented. I blame, I blame, I blame Sir Walter Raleigh, or Raleigh, as I was told you have to pronounce his name. So most hospitals already have a no-smoking policy, but their staff find them difficult to enforce. So I'm wondering whether or not you think this is an extension of a sensible ban on a deadly habit or yet another invasion of your rights. So I say, I smoke, I'm never indoors. If it's, I have a little balcony outside my flat, and if it's banned outside hospitals and schools, I honestly couldn't care less. Part of me, as I say, just wants it to be banned totally and completely and take the choice out of my life, and I'm weak. And my problem with smoking is I really look forward to it. I really enjoy it. I get a kind of, I get a nice kick of it. But they always say that if you smoke 10 cigarettes a day or however many you smoke a day, half of them won't be so enjoyable. They're just done out of habit and you're not actually needing one. And sometimes if you wait and wait and wait and wait, the longer you wait, so like the first one you have in the morning, the, the nicer the experience. I know, I'm bizarre. 0345 6060973. Marion, good morning to you, Marion. You say, how fair is this on smokers? Or alternatively, how fair is it to force children and non-smokers to breathe disgusting second-hand cigarette smoke outside schools, in and close to playgrounds, and outside hospitals for any public buildings, to be fair? And I agree. I think outside hospitals good idea i think i don't think you're going to be able to enforce that i think there'll be some people who are addicted to smoking who are in hospital maybe even for a smoking related disease and they will want to smoke outside whether they are attached to their iv unit or not oh three four five six oh six oh nine seven three where's the most bizarre place you've been punished or what's the most fine you've ever had for being fined for smoking in a public area i mentioned my 80 pound fine outside doncaster uh, railway station which surprised me rather a lot we've already had in victoria in australia of course where melbourne is the capital they have a hundred no what was it a hundred six hundred six hundred six three hundred quid six hundred um, australian dollars fine for smoking in a public area can't believe that, can you? Oh three four five six oh six oh nine seven three. David says the ban should be extended to publicly owned spaces, including high streets. Most offensive to have to breathe in smoke when walking along the street. So publicly owned spaces. So pl- spaces outside where you can be for free. Shopping centres, car parks. I mean, how far do we extend this? Where would you like to see? As I say, if you're going to ban it, ban it completely and then weak people like me will not have the choice to decide whether to pollute themselves and others i'm I'm not convinced that sitting outside a bar or standing outside a bar and having a cigarette which i always found when it first came in was very very particularly in ireland because i remember traveling to ireland for for work many times and suddenly this whole new experience of going outside from a bar and having to smoke outside which was completely weird to anyone who came from the from from Britain and, and thinking, well, that we we don't do this sort of thing, but actually it became a really good way to meet people outside because you suddenly had an immediate talking point. It was a bit like the royal wedding last week. Finally, you had something that you could just talk to people that served you in Sainsbury's or people that you met sort of wherever you were going, having a haircut. You could suddenly have something to talk to. A bit like the wartime experience, I expect. Uh, should we go to Carlisle? I think we will. John's in Cumbria. Hello, John. Morning. I'm good, mate. Are you a smoker? Uh, I'll tell you, I'm a bit phobic about this business of uh, speaking on air, but we'll have a go anyway. Okay, good luck. Yeah, okay, you know, touch water. No, it's fine, it's fine, you'll be fine. Reducing your expectations, you know. Yeah. Right. 
for myself. Uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of nonsense talked about smoking, quite frankly. I think the public enemy number one health, and enemy number one is, uh, is uh, quite frankly, it's uh, overeating, you know, not uh, smoking. You're a smoker? Smoking ban, which was designed to improve public health, 2007, it was enacted. Okay, public health has gone right down the swanee. Things are much worse than they were then. Uh, so it hasn't done much good. From that, uh, how how, how can you be sure that... that they're um, much heavier, they're much bigger. And I'll tell you, uh, uh, the problems related to overeating, being obese, cost the health service, I believe. Type 2 diabetes on its own, which is obesity. Tell me why you think we're being... No, I'm not going to argue, but I'm, listen, I'm not going to... You, you're John, you're absolutely right. You're not... You, I'm, you're absolutely right about eating, about sugar, about obesity. We all know that. Tell me why you think smoking is treated too seriously. Well, quite frankly, I think it's just sort of madness. It's sort of madness. Are you a smoker yourself? Uh, you know, there's a, there's a mental disorder called paranoia, whereby uh, this, the distinguishing features are believing a lot of nonsense, a lot of nonsense. Are you a smoker, John? I am indeed. I smoke 60 a day. Look, I'm 72 years old. I look twice as fit. Okay. How many and years have you been smoking 60 a day? Okay. I've got a bit of a cough with them. John, moment. John, John, yeah. slow down. How, how many t how many uh, years have you been smoking 60 oh, a day? I was 14. So that's and now you're 72. You see, this is the thing I don't understand. If smoking really was... It is funny. I, I met a guy who was 94 the other day, and he was smil still smoking roll-ups and had been all his life and all the rest of it. And you would certainly wouldn't say he was 100% healthy, but, you know, I thought, according to statistics, people like that should have died years ago, shouldn't they? I don't really understand that. So you think... Do you... Would you like to see tobacco banned completely? Pardon? Would you like to see tobacco banned completely? Absolutely not. Absolutely. No? John, so you you're seventy two. John, John, you're you're seventy two. You smoke sixty a day since you were fourteen. Do you have other friends of your sort of age group who've been smoking a lot since they were young, and are they fine? Uh, I don't really. Uh, I'm not in contact with many people these days. To be honest, I'm pretty isolated. It's all that Latin you're speaking. I, I have friends. I, I see very occasionally. Back from school, I see them occasionally when they're in town. Mm. And in where you live, if you're yeah. out and about in Carlisle, are a lot of people smoking? Because they often say yeah, that... No, it's pretty, uh, pretty sparse. Now, uh, finding smoke, uh, well, smoking uh, in the population. Thank, yeah. thank you for sharing your, um, your story with us. That's John. He's in Carlisle, 72 years old, smokes 60 a day, has done since he was 14. Thinks that there are m far more health issues we should be looking at. And to be honest with you, we are looking at it. What was the statistic? I mean, you know, lies down statistics and all the rest of it. What was the statistic this week I saw? It said something like in 2050 or 2060, they estimate, how, how you estimate this, I don't know, that there are going to be 45% of adults will be obese. And the term obese is quite strange because I was virtually obese the other day. I was 13 and a half 
stone and I'm six foot. So I'm not a fatty, but there's a just you can see there's an outline there. It's not it's not Schwarzenegger-esque anymore, obviously. So they so, you know, technically being obese, I know stretches to a lot of people, but that does seem a far more worry and alcohol as well. Really, when you look at the number of deaths and the number of crimes and the problems that it causes. Um, I'm in no way making an apology for smoking. And if I had my way, it would be banned. And people like me wouldn't smoke because we wouldn't have the choice. And you'd get over it because there wouldn't be any other thing to do. You know, people didn't worry about having their mobile phones taken away in the 1950s because they hadn't been invented and we didn't think about it. If you don't think about it, it doesn't happen. So, smoking ban. Let's get back to this. Um, let's reel it in, Ian. Okay. The smoking ban. Wales are going to ban smoking in certain outside areas from next summer. Sensible areas. School playgrounds. Outside hospitals. Outside schools themselves. I mean, you can go into the argument about whether or not all those idling car engines is far more polluting than people smoking. I think it's a great start, and I would absolutely, as a smoker, and I know you probably think that's weird, I would try and ban tobacco completely. It will never be banned because it makes too much money for the government. However, it, wouldn't it be great if they turn around and say tobacco would be banned tomorrow? We'd all stop smoking, wouldn't we? We'd have to. Or would you go underground to buy your cigarettes and, and pay 300 quid for a packet? Good morning. This is Ian Payne in for Steve Allen. He's had his cataract operation. He's fine. And it's quarter to five in the morning. Ian Payne on LBC. Uh, yes, yeah, so we've had John from Cumbria, who's uh, 72, smokes 60 a day, has done since he was 14, saying that we're over-egging the seriousness of smoking and I don't think you could over-egg the seriousness of smoking. I don't think there's any way, and I come from a medical family, there is no way you could say that smoking is good for you and you certainly wouldn't say it's neutral for you. It is very, very harmful. It does have carcinogenic property. You can talk about the science of it. It just seems occasionally you hear from people who, you know, aren't dead at that age and how come? If you've been smoking that heavily for that long surely someone like John should no longer be with us, shouldn't they? If you listen to all the science, it's impossible. But anyway, it, it's, it's an anomaly. So, look, I'm not trying to say smoking's good for you. What I'm trying to say is I would actually wish, as a smoker, the choice was taken from me and it was banned completely. How about you? 03456060973. And when we were talking just in the break there, we were talking about, with Chris and my producer, and we were talking about... You know, if you work here in Leicester Square, particularly when it's a sunny day, as I found out the other day, you finish work and you're feeling relaxed and you're a bit, you know, buzzy because you've done three hours of talking and you feel good about yourself. You go out and you have a glass of wine, it turns into two. And you do it because it's a beautiful day, it's a beautiful place to work and live. So many interesting people, you'll always meet new people. And, you know, if you're like me, and I know it sounds a bit odd, but if you're kind of shy-ish strange thing to say but yeah you you don't meet anyone and then you've had two glasses of wine or whatever you sit outside and you just so many you'll meet people it'll be interesting it's just a fun day and i don't believe that you know having that having alcohol of course if you're going to have it every single day and five pints you're going to be very very ill but you know i think a couple of glasses of wine every so often isn't really going to some people say oh this you've got to have no wine you mustn't have any sugar you mustn't have any fats you mustn't do this you know that we looked at that stat what did that stat say it was in 2060 40, 2045 
Half of Britons will be obese. There you are. What does obese mean? Let's go to Andrew in Ilford to talk about the smoking ban. Are you a smoker? No, I'm uh, I had three, two cigarettes when I was six years old. <gasps> are you paying for it now? Oh, no. What happened was I got caught nicking them for a couple of the kids down the road. Oh, like did you? Box. And uh, he, he, back then, you know, you didn't uh, grass up your mates, so it was a case of, uh, are you going to smoke them? Yes. Okay. You Let's did go the... outside and smoke them. Right. Do you Two think... Capstan full strength. Okay. Where do you think... Do you want a quiz? Do you like quizzes? Sorry? Do you like quizzes? Yeah, why not? Okay, I'm going to ask you a question. Um, I'll ask you a question. I'll say, where in the world, which country in the world do you think has the strictest... I know this sounds like a wide-ranging problem, but I will narrow it down to continents and things like that if you're having problems. All right? You, what, do you want to play? Okay. Why okay. not? Where, where is the strictest country in the world for a smoking ban? And I'm going to say it's in the Americas. It's definitely not the States, not... Canada. It's not the States, it's um, not Canada, correct. Okay, definitely not. Definitely, definitely not Mexico. Definitely not Mexico. <laughs> definitely not um, Colombia. <laughs> um, Central America. Yeah, yeah. Should we say Central America? Can we say Central America? Yeah. Oh, no, not Puerto Rico. No, nearly. The other one. I know I got that wrong. I should have said put it, but it's where apparently really exotic wildlife. I saw a, 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 it's Costa Rica. Aye, yeah. Costa Rica smoking is banned in buses, taxis, trains, terminals, all workplaces, public buildings, restaurants, bars, casinos, all enclosed public access buildings, granting no exceptions. No no separate smoking areas are permitted, and then they get heavy. No outdoor recreational or educational areas such as parks, stadia, and university campuses. Doesn't leave you with much, does it? Um, no, no, definitely not. So do you think um, this is a good idea from Wales to, to sort of ban outside schools and hospitals? I'm, I'm thinking that it probably would be a good idea, um, provided that... Um, the people in the hospitals who want to smoke can get access to somewhere that's off the hospital grounds because I, like I said, I'm a PDS ambulance driver. Oh, right. And um, so you, know, you say you've seen the people um, stood outside hospitals with the drip stand. Oh, yes. I've actually seen somebody um, in the big wheeled wheelchair that they can um, pull along, that go along with their, themselves, mm. towing somebody in a, no, in a wheelchair that... With the lip that they can't pull along, but with a drip stand um, and a, the bloke with an oxygen cylinder in there. <laughs> Sorry. Towing them outside, and they would have, the bloke with the oxygen mask would be um, <laughs> taking the oxygen mask off, having a quick suck, oxygen mask back on, blowing it out. <laughs> oh, God, it's like going to the top of Everest and having a fag because you feel like you want to increase your lung capacity. Unbelievable. So someone's in a wheelchair that's that's movable, and they're towing yeah. someone with oxygen in a wheelchair that isn't movable, and they're removing the oxygen and having a fag. Yep. And the thing about it is, though, is if they can't get it, they're actually under stress. 
mental. Yeah. Difficult. But don't you think if literally tobacco disappeared tomorrow, it, uh, would it, it would it become one of those things that sort of went underground and they'd be like tobacco dens? I have absolutely no doubt that that would happen. Do you at all? Because you know, because well, first of all, you've got the contrary nature of people. Mm. You say I can't do it, right? Mm. I'm going to do it. Mm. You know, and, and they will do it like that. Really? The other thing that gets me, you know, it would that would be something that would be very good for health. I've oh, be brilliant no it? about it. But the thing about it is, is if you start going on, and you alluded it to a little while earlier. Yeah. But if you do it purely on health grounds, you know, um, how long is it going to be before um, you know it's saying, okay, red meat, carcinogen, can't have that. Uh, you can't, you know, you can't have this because that's bad. Sugar's bad for you. Well, I was going to say everything in moderation, but with smoking, you can't even have that. By the way, Andrew, you're an ambulance driver. Did you see the NHS Awards the other night with Paul O'Grady? Did you watch that? No, oh. I didn't. Um, I'm afraid I worked the night shift, you see. Oh, so, um, what a blubberthon. That was on. I, you know, I never cry watching telly, but that, <laughs> honestly, within five minutes, you know, when you look at Manchester bombing victims and all the money they raised for their friend who was blown up in front of their eye, just, oh, God. He is brilliant, Paul O'Grady. I have to say he's absolutely brilliant at things like that. I don't know how edited it was, but oh, he didn't put a foot wrong. Andrew, thank you very much indeed. Um, this is a good one from Tony. This will learn you. Smoking should only be allowed outside in cemeteries to make smokers contemplate their outcome. It's nice. Let's go to Paul, who's in the other side of the country, in Devon. Morning, Paul. Good morning. Um, well, I've got a little bit of a story to tell you. Oh, good. Um, tw- Twelve months ago, I considered myself as a healthy 60-year-old. and never really had anything wrong with me. And uh, I started finding my urine was getting darker. Right. So I went to the doctors, uh, had a urine test. Um, didn't hear anything back because I went on holiday came back, my urine was getting darker, put another urine test into the doctor, made a phone call to the doctors the following day to be told, that's the second test you've had with blood in it, to which I said, blood. Yes, blood. So I'm referring you to a local hospital. Within a week, I was into uh, a clinic and had all various tests, and I was told I had a tumour on my bladder. Mm. Never smoked ever in my life. Mm. I worked in an office with smokers. They say it was smoking caused it. it. Yes, passive smoking. Um, so they within a week, I actually had that tumour shaved off, but to be informed in due course that it actually got into the wall of my bladder and I needed my bladder removed, mm. uh, which was a big shock. Um, have, you, have you sort of been brought up in very smoky environments or are you just... I used to work with my dad who used to be a... A quite a strong smoker. Oh, right. Okay. Well, and inside. Uh, that's right, right. That's right. right. So, um, in due course, then I was told that um, the cancer actually spread to my lymph nodes, mm. and I needed four months of chemotherapy. So I had four months of chemotherapy, which put me through quite a bit of trauma, to be honest. I've got to be honest, mm. honest there. And then this February just gone by, I had my bladder removed. My prostate removed, my lymph nodes removed. And this is all from passive smoking? All through passive smoking. So would you ban smoking entirely? I'd ban it off the planet. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. You know, I'm now in a situation where, fortunately, I've had a rebuilt bladder. Yeah. 
Um, life is not the same. Yeah. Um, and I am bitter. I am bitter. I'm, I'm, being, I'm being positive so far as myself. Is your dad still around? No, he no. he died in his sixties. Probably a good thing in a strange way, isn't it? Listen, but I, I I just I, I look at I, I get angry when I see people smoking now, obviously because of course I'm a victim. You yeah. know, whatever someone decides to do, if someone decides to inject themselves with drugs, it's not. It's well, not listen, I'm I'm glad else. that you've we've come on and given that side of it because it's often a side of it. And thank you so much for being brave enough to do that. that often it's it. It's something that people forget about. And they think, oh, it's passive smoke. You don't be ridiculous. But if you're standing next to someone puffing away 30 a day in a room, you know, you, you're going to be affected by that kind of thing, aren't you? Thanks for all your calls. Let's uh, move on. Let's talk about immigration. The Office of National Statistics says England's population is going to increase by another 3 million to 60 million over the next decade. And in London, the population will touch 10 million by 2026. That's an increase of three quarters of a million. It's unsustainable. Now, the figures say, and this is where the right-wing papers have gone crazy this morning, most of the growth is going to come from immigration or migration, not from more births than deaths. There's some interesting stats which sort of plays into that narrative about Polish people, Romanian people. Uh, All I know is that, you know, I spend an hour sitting in my Costa Coffee in Ealing. I don't hear English spoken, but is that necessarily a bad thing? This is LBC from Global, leading Britain's conversation with Ian Payne. Yes, good morning. It's just after five o'clock on a Friday morning. This is Ian Payne in for Steve Allen. Um, If you're just tuning in, he's had his cataracts operation. He's absolutely fine. He'll be back very, very soon. After six o'clock, we're going to talk about the latest allegations that you've heard in the news. This time, Morgan Freeman, the Hollywood actor, apologising after eight women accusing him of being a sex pest. We'll also talk about Harvey Weinstein and the fact that Harvey Weinstein is due to surrender himself into the police custody in New York for the first time on sexual misconduct charges. He's denied any non-consensual sex with anybody. Um, So we'll be talking about that. I also noticed, just looking at media and entertainment, see Netflix now has a bigger market share and is, is, is basically bigger than Disney. Isn't that incredible? I have to say, Netflix is one of the great inventions of our time. But first of all, I want to talk about immigration, which you may think is not one of the great inventions of our time, certainly. I'm going to talk about the statistics, just the facts. The official, uh, or sorry, the Office of National Statistics, the ONS, says the UK's population is going to increase to 60 million over the next decade. In London, the population could touch 10 million by 2026. It's only eight years away. So another three-quarters of a million people in London in eight years. The figures uh, say that most of the growth will come from migration, will not come from births, i.e. more births than deaths, and some other stats that you might be interested in or not. Polish people now number over uh, a million. They're the fastest-growing nationality, though, is Romanian, uh, which has overtaken Irish... In five London boroughs, more than half of the residents are from abroad. Now, I've often said where I live, in Ealing, as I mentioned before the news, you go into a coffee shop, particularly Costa, and you hardly hear any English spoken at all. And I want to know whether you think this is a bad thing, a good thing. If you are a foreigner, if we can call you that, do you still feel an outsider? We can talk about the Brexit side of it. But what I want to talk about most um, 
on this subject is we, we hear a lot about immigration. We hear a lot about oh, blooming foreigners. We hear about, you know, we, there are phrases used like white flight. We heard that where people, particularly in London, are no longer able to live in the centre of London because that's I think that's a slightly different thing. I don't think that is people from outside the UK non-white or whatever however you want to describe that i don't think that's got anything to do with people having to move out i think that's to do with the housing market myself particularly in london but what i do find fascinating about this whole um this whole panorama really is how the speed with which our population is growing is now beginning to affect people like me who I don't think I would describe myself as illiberal. I would actually describe myself as a liberal. If there actually was a decent middle ground um, political party, I would vote for them rather than the Lib Dems, who suddenly aren't liberal at all when they talk about taxation and think, some of the things that they talk But anyway, that's, that's beside the point, student fees and things like that. So what I want to talk about is this whole concept of immigration. And now we have some stats to back it up. I mean, Daily Mail's gone absolutely to town with this, as you might expect, because it backs up everything that they've been saying. And the, and the thing with the mail, the mail is right. The, the, the population is exploding, and the population is exploding because more and more people are coming here because they are allowed to, and that's absolutely right. The argument, obviously, is with the interpretation of those figures. Do you believe, as James O'Brien, I'm sure, would, would believe. Do you believe that people coming here does nothing but benefit for the country? Or do you believe, as other presenters, as other people on different sides of the political spectrum would believe, say that people coming here in this, num in this many numbers, and particularly because you know, they don't speak English and they're undercutting our jobs and doing all the rest of it, th this is actually being damaging and harmful to our country. So I want to know whether or not you believe that this kind of influx, that this kind of mass immigration is actually adversely affecting your life. So after six o'clock, we'll talk about um, Me Too and that big campaign and whether or not that has actually, has it affected your life in any way? It hasn't really affected mine, but here's something that has affected my life and I can't work out whether it's for the better or not. I, all I know is that the and I've said this many, many, many times is that I think there should be a ministry or a, a, a department, a secretary of state for population, not for immigration, but for population, because the population of this country is now beginning to get so bulky and unwieldy that this is why we're talking about all our services are under strain. This is why we're saying whenever you go to A&E, whenever you try and see a GP, whenever you try and get a dentist appointment, although dentist appointments aren't quite the same, but basically whenever you try and see a doctor now, you know, the waiting room is full of people who wouldn't have been there 20, 15, 10 years ago. Where's everyone coming from? And it's not, and, you know, we can talk about migration and immigration from Europe and EU citizens and being able to, you know, free movement and that, and the kind of, the, the pillars of that European belief that basically we are one giant country now on the continent and the UK and you can go wherever you like you can have the same currency and with one or two anomalies like ours it's basically one country one state but it's not European migration that's causing all this problem 
is it? It's the, but it's the speed of what's going on that is making people feel uncomfortable, in my opinion. So people like my mum who've lived in a, you know, pretty white village in Hampshire all her life, you know, if she ever does venture in towards Basingstoke, which is where she, she lives, as she told me the other day, and I mentioned this the other day, if she does venture there, she doesn't recognise the place anymore. You know, it's full of, she calls them foreign gangs. I'm not quite sure what that means, but I think it means more homeless people. Has that got part to do with it? So let's talk about these statistics. These statistics have come out and they have basically said, they have, they have confirmed, I think, what a lot of people were saying. And I want to know whether you think it's a good thing or a bad thing. The Office of National Statistics says this. Polish people... Uh, after British people, are now the most populous in the country. There are now over a million of them. The fastest growing nationality in this country is Romanian. It used to be Irish. In five London boroughs, more than half of the residents are from abroad. Do you hear English in your area spoken anymore? There have always been enclaves where English is like a second language or even a third language, but now... It's beginning to affect not just inner-city London and Manchester and Birmingham and Newcastle. It's beginning to affect the shires, as we call them. It's beginning... To, there was a... There was a um, um, I remember doing a book in history, and it was all about the change in our society, and it was called um, Town and Country. So towns have always been affected by this. Now country's being affected by this, and suddenly we're up in arms. Whether that's got anything to do with the Brexit vote, I've no idea. All I know is that it's the speed of change that is now... And we've seen it. You see it in all other... I mean, look what's happening in Italy. Now, in Italy, you know, you've got a, you've got a, a government that has finally been formed, but they're so... They've got sort of no idea of how to deal with all the things that are happening in Europe, that they've picked a coalition government. On the one hand, has a sort of left-wing view that says... We're going to hand out every, every single person in the country who's under a certain amount of money is going to literally be paid so many euros. So that, you know, the most kind of socialist left-wing view... Let's just give money to everyone who hasn't got it. And on the other hand of the party, you've got another policy that's coming through very soon, and that is they're going to deport something like 250,000 um, Africans back to that continent because they've all come across... The Mediterranean. So you, you've got a country like that that really has no idea where it's going. And it's, a, it's like that headless chicken thing. We've had, you know, more extreme, and I'm not necessarily just right wing, but because of what's going on in Europe at the moment, more extreme politics coming in. Not here, but in America, everywhere, you've got more extreme because suddenly contemplating your people's future. With all this other interaction that's going around the around the Europe, is suddenly the really important thing. So all those things that people like my mum and and I never had to think about. You know, the country was the country. The things you mo moaned about were not the things we moan about now. We didn't moan about oh, there's too many people in this country. There's too many foreigners. We did. That's not. That wasn't even a conversation thirty years ago. It's now a massive conversation. And it, and I think a lot of people. We get a lot of people on here who make. Um, who make great store by the fact that they're unhappy and they get painted as right-wing kind of neo-Nazis who want everyone out. But it's not those people. I think there's a huge silent majority, a little bit like me, who are just beginning to think it's just too much now. We just 
do we need just slow it down i don't mind i'm not this idea that we don't have anyone coming from abroad because the we need the nhs the nhs nurses look at the number of vacancies 43000 vacancies last time i looked last week in the nhs most of those vacancies normally fill from people either outside the eu or outside of this country within the eu suddenly not coming here anymore that's why we need people it's it's the people that they're serving though that i'm worried about because there's too many of them but there's too many of them at too fast a pace and that's what seems to me to be the problem tell me what you think 0345 6060973 if you ring now you will get through i promise you'll be able to talk to us you'll be able to tell us give us rather than having some frothing at the mouth you know no neck white van man bulldog looking person Let's have a considered view from someone who, who wouldn't normally ring a radio station, who's thinking, do you know what, you're right, there is a problem, and it's about time we dealt with it, but not dealt with it in a xenophobic, anti-foreigner way, dealt with it in a kind of sensible way, saying, look, there must be a way of slowing down the population rise, because even the Office of National Statistics now... Is as I say, the the papers have picked out certain things that kind of suit their agenda. But the bottom line is that the population of this country is now growing at a faster rate than it has ever been, and that is unsustainable. How do we slow that down, or do we? And is that a good thing or a bad thing? The foreigner thing, I don't really care about. The thing I care about is population. There are more people here. But there aren't more people to serve them all, and more space, and more housing, and more doctors. And do you see what I mean? It's just like, where does that all end? So it's population, not immigration. That's my problem with this. What about you? Oh three four five six zero six zero nine seven three. Ring now. You'll still get through. Text eight four eight five zero or tweet at LBC. Time is quarter past five. Morning. Ian Payne on LBC. Call oh three four five six zero six zero nine seven three. So we're looking at the figures that have been brought together by the Office of National Statistics, which um, backs up the alarm bells that have been ringing in some of uh, the more right-wing newspapers, rightly or wrongly. They say that over the next decade, country's population will increase by another three million, the fastest rate it's ever increased to sixty million. London, the population will be almost ten million by 2026. That's another increase of three quarters of a million pounds. The figures come mostly from migration, or the increase from migration, not from births being exceeding um, deaths. Uh, Polish people are now the second most popular in the country after so-called British. I say so-called British. What should I say? British. Yeah. Now uh, over a million. The fastest-growing nationality is Romanian, which has overtaken Irish people in five London boroughs. More than half the residents are from abroad. I want to know whether or not. Well, first of all, I want to know from you whether you've seen this. Well, of course you have. Anyone who hasn't seen this, anyone that's made no, meant, noticed no change, can't believe there is anybody. How has this change manifested itself? Are you literally not able to see a doctor anymore? Have you changed surgeries? Have you moved out? Have you had to move out? Does nobody speak English where you live? 
Have you tried to learn someone else's language? O three four five six o six o nine seven three. Alan says immigration is okay as long as the country receiving them can cope. Pressure on the NHS, schools, and housing is unsustainable. We're about to implode, says Alan. And Billy's in Romford in East London. He says the immigrant is not the problem. The government is. They allow mass immigration without investing in the infrastructure to support the numbers. You can't blame a person for seeing a better life and wanting it. I will, after I've spoken to a couple of people on the phone, I will um, go through what um, Oxford and Cambridge professors have been saying about immigration because and and its benefits and not on society, particularly our society. But I want to hear from you rather than Cambridge and Oxford academics. So let's go straight to the phone lines. Oh three four five six oh six oh nine seven three. Jeannie's in Tunbridge in Kent. Jeannie, have you noticed a change? Yes, I, I, I have actually, but the thing is, I have been so reticent to say anything. There we go. Reason, You're just the people I'm talking about. Well, I'll tell you why, because um, all my life I have uh, chosen friends for who they are. I don't give a damn about their colour, where they come from or anything. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I can honestly say I've, put, I've probably got as many friends from... Um, Iran, Pakistan, the uh, people uh, that live near us, um, uh, a, a load of people from different different countries, and we're very close friends, okay? So if anyone, which they have done, because I dare vote uh, Brexit, have actually said, um, oh, you must be racist and all this sort of thing, it makes me so sad because I think to myself, well, actually, I've got more friends from different countries than you've ever had. Mm. And... So, first of all, I'd like to say that, and mm. I, I've seen it, it's splitting up families. It, it, it's extraordinary. Go on, because, how? How is um, it splitting up well, families? I'll tell you what, because um, my husband and I are in our uh, 70s, and uh, we've moved around a lot, and we've come to a place where we always used to live, and we couldn't actually find a doctor. And when we mentioned it to our two sons, we couldn't find a doctor. Um, they were so horrified. They said, it's ridiculous. You're just saying that because you're, you know, you're xenophobic and you don't want people to come in. Well, so when you say you couldn't find a doctor, what do you mean? Well, I say we, we went to three practices around and they all said, um, no, we, you're outside our, our area. And I said, well, the people next door are actually here. Well, that's, uh, well the, the boundaries have been changed. I'm afraid we can't have you. We've got too many people. Right. Okay, fine. Okay. So that happened at three practices. So fortunately, now we've got into um, a small practice and they could not be better. They're absolutely, they work their socks off, but they are absolutely, we get, a, we get an appointment when we want and they're wonderful. So if you look around, you can still get them. But what I'm saying is when we first said, oh, we're very upset, we couldn't get into uh, this particular practice, we got so much anger as if we were making it up. Now, all I want to say is that I am feeling like I'm like you. I'm totally, totally liberal. In fact, when I go up to London, I always come back and say to my friends, all the people that stand up for you because mm. you're in your 70s mm. or open doors or the most politest people that always come mm -hmm. from another country. So if anything, I, I'm for uh, people that are brought up in other countries because I think they're so much more polite than we are, to be quite honest. So I am the last person But, the there's world. a but, there's a but. But this is the problem. The point is that, and I've studied this quite a lot, I just feel that we all need to have our own um, identity. And when we get to the stage where we, we have just 
were so overwhelmed by people from other countries that we lo- each country in each village, each town in each village, loses their identity. I think, you see, I always believe that if we... Would you go um, so far as to say that? You'd say that English villages are now losing their identity? Yes, but even, even that isn't straightforward enough, because you say, then people start saying, what is your identity? But the thing is, I do believe, <laughs> funny enough, for psychological reasons, we... We can't get on with sometimes with all the people in our family, but we love them and we care about them because we know them more. Mm. And every time you hear a story about someone, um, uh, some awful accident about uh, someone in a different country, you feel for them, but you you just think, oh, gosh, how awful, that must have been terrible. But when, when that happens to actually somebody that you actually know that lives in your village, it has a huge impact. And I believe that if you, if we are living in our own uh, area and, and we're, we're self sort of um, secure in ourselves, we are far more able to help in a way that most of us are. Most of us are like you, Ian, I mm. think, middle down the road. We are not too right, we're not too left. We care about other people. Mm. Uh, I'm even reluctant to say Christian values because my friends from other countries have got there, obviously. I mean, you, very you, similar in values. my opinion, you could be Christian without being religious, but that's, that's just me. But I, we, I know what you mean. So you are, if you don't mind me saying so, Jeannie, you are the kind of voice of middle England I hope you I don't mind I, me saying I, that I, I, I think, I I think you are in the and way. even you now are feeling uncomfortable um, I think I think the thing is that um, I, I feel like you I'm for population because mm-hmm. I do I do recognize the, the enormous benefit no I love it I love it I said all, all I said was out. it's just too quick it just it's all about population it just needs to slow down assimilation is fine but you can't just plonk what are we saying here another 3 million people well that's what alarms us all i think because i feel if it's getting uncomfortable now not i'm just thinking not just of us i'm thinking of people that come into our country yeah. because because they are by and large so wonderful and most most of them are hard working you do get a lot that are no listen I'm, and, I'm, and and you put into words Jeannie what I think a lot of people are saying you're like the silent majority and you live where you live and it's been pretty undisturbed and you've got no axe to grind with anyone but when it's happening at this pace and 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 happening at that overwhelming velocity i think a lot of people are saying well where, where does this end you know and of course there's more friction and of course you're going to get a more divided society and people will start to look inwards a little bit Jeannie, thanks for your call keep listening ian must be on before the news it says here so before the news here's ian in harlow morning <laughs> Oh, morning, uh, morning, Ian. Uh, sorry, yeah, yeah I, I actually um, got cut off last time, but that's the reason. Um, yeah, just what it, what I'm, I'm basically echoing the same as probably what everybody else is saying, that uh, our problems really are infrastructural, I think, a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as in, we haven't maintained any infrastructure properly over the last 40 years, which has led me to believe that really the trickle-down effect hasn't really worked for the people at the bottom, like myself. Um, and uh, I've got uh, an 18-year-old and a 21-year-old, and I'm staring at what they've got for their future, and it really isn't the same as the... Well, what's the main difference between the future that awaits your kids and the future that awaited you at 20? Sorry, can you say that again? What's the difference between the future that awaits your kids and the future okay, that awaited uh, you at 20? OK, uh, well, for example, um, what's their chances of getting a house? Okay, and is that due to immigration? Uh, well, you see, this is the problem. You've got people on the left 
and you've got people on the right. Uh, the people on the left will say that uh, the reason is that uh, a, a lack of government uh, are putting money into the into the system. I mean, the, the people on and the left will say when you when you don't regulate a housing market and you just leave it to market forces, this is what happens. So this is a fantastic example. Yesterday, when uh, they sang about the NHS and everybody having to chip in an extra two thousand pounds, um, and really what that what you've got is the people on the left. Immediately it came out it's an ageing population, which of course it probably is a combination of that. And then you've got the people on the right that will say it's immigration. So, and what you've got... You've what got do you say? Opinion. And each, each side fails to agree with the other that it's actually a combination of all. So you think it's a combination of everything. Are we gonna, is it going to improve or do we need to actually drastically no. say, right, uh, we need to no, stop this? No, the, re- the reason it's not improving is because, yet again... Where we're building new houses, we're just giving the developers free reign to just build houses, not build any new schools, no new hospitals, no new infrastructure, no so, new roads. And you, so you, so you would, you would say, allow them to build the. So you would say, allow them to build those hospitals, soak houses, whilst letting lots more people come, or would you actually try and stop people coming? Well, you see, this is the problem. The question is, at what point would you like to stop? Because sooner or later, you know, what will happen is they've filled up London now. Now they're branching out, branching out, branching out. Eventually, the whole of the country will be a concrete slab. Not in my lifetime. Not in no, my I... Life. Well, it's that Joni Mitchell song, isn't it? It's, it's the Joni Mitchell song. Well, listen, I don't think it's ever going to get that... I, and I don't think that... I think we've got to make the decision. Do we allow these many people to arrive and just build more? Or do we actually say, do you know what? We don't mind people coming here, but just, just slow it down so we just don't get this, this massive problem. And it, it's all linked, in my opinion. You know, the homelessness, the education, the, the lack of facilities and the service industry. This is all linked to population. That's just what I think. What do you think? Oh three four five six zero six zero nine seven three. The time is Ian Payne on LBC. Call oh three four five six zero six zero nine seven three. So, what do you think is the most popular non-British nationality in this country now? That hasn't changed. It's still Poland. Polish remains the most common non-British nationality with an estimated 1 million Poles in the UK right now. These come from the Office of National Statistics, so I'm assuming they're correct. Now, though, it used to be... Number three used to be the Republic of Ireland. So it was British... First non-British was number Polish, then Irish. Ireland, though, has gone down to number four. In third place is Romania. There are now more Romanians living in the UK than there are Irish nationals or Indians, according to the Office of National Statistics, the official figures. Romania has overtaken the Republic of Ireland and India to move from fourth to the second most common non-British nationality in the UK, the ONS has found. The number of Romanians who live in the UK in 2017 was estimated to be 411,000. That is a jump of 25% on the previous year, and the largest increase for any country. Romania only joined the European Union in 2007, but it was only in 2014 that restrictions on Romanians' rights to work in the UK were lifted, 
Poland, as I say, remains the most common non-British nationality. Um, people who by the 31st of December 2020 have been continuously and lawfully living in the UK for five years will be able to apply to stay indefinitely by acquiring settled status. I haven't got anything against Polish people. I've got nothing against Romanian people. It's the speed of it. It's just too fast. And that's what's happening. Paolo says population increase is linked to nearly all social problems, and I'm a liberal, I agree with everything you say here. It's really affecting the shires. Crime is going to be out of control soon. It's population, population, population. I, I do believe the speed of population growth is the most detrimental thing that is happening in the country at the moment. I don't necessarily mean with infrastructure, but I mean in all facets of society. Um, and it's also beginning to affect... The, the sort of mental well-being of people. I don't mean that they're becoming mentally ill, but they're beginning to to feel animosity towards the foreigner. And that shouldn't be allowed to happen because the foreigner, the immigrant, is of massive benefit to this country. But it's happening so quickly that people are just... They can't find their feet. Let's go around our callers. Uh, Cecilia is in Harrow. Good morning. Good morning, Ian. What do you think of these statistics? I've been listening to you for about two hours, <clears throat> I Good. think. And um, I'm actually quite concerned by yourself, you know, oh. the way you're presenting this position. Okay. All right. Most importantly, when you say you're bothered by the speed of immigration, slow it down. What do you propose people do to slow it down? The government, you should actually be uh, addressing your own, sorry, your um, criticism at the politicians who have lost complete control right from the beginning. Is, is, is Brexit you're, not trying to get that control back? Yes, yes, get that control back. You're in a situation where negotiations are going on at the moment. You can do nothing. I have constantly heard you talking about Polish immigration, in, uh, Romanians, Irish, this, that. You're constantly harping on these other nationalities. These are the so figures the that have come out today. You know why it bothers me? Why? Because, yes, because at this point in time, you are in a European Union where you have no power over restriction of movement of people. And you're saying slow it down. What's your opinion on how it should be slowed down? Well, you know, the last how many years that do you want me to answer or not? In the EU. Let me tell you, mm. I am somebody, I am an immigrant myself, yeah. and I have served this country for 30 years, mm. looking after 18 to 25 year roads in this country, teaching. That's what I've been doing. Right. But yes, yes. I well, you haven't, you've been listening for two hours, but you haven't been listening because yes, I've yes. not said, I've not said I don't want people from abroad to come here. Yes. I've said the population increase is too fast yeah, and we must and you are, you, that's the view you are promoting how do you intend to stop it well, too fast? You're, it's actually a very initiate position you're presenting because people like you should know the facts about how this immigration situation right, so you tell me what you think should happen now no, at the <coughs> yeah I'm, I mean, we're all victims of this whole situation. You tell me what you think I, I, should happen now. Look, no, no, you, because what, what, why I'm saying that, I think you're, forgive me, I don't mean to be insulting, but it's a very uninformed uh, position. No, but you tell me what you think should happen now. I don't, my position is not slow it down. My position is the question I have asked for the past 30 years, what should we have been doing to equip our children, prepare them 
to for this influx uh, that not, is coming from Poland and from everywhere else. I'm not. You know, you're you not listening, Cecilia. Yeah. With respect, you're not listening. What I didn't say. Let's stop Romanians coming. Let's. St- I said the speed with which these. Yeah. I didn't say this. This lot shouldn't come. They shouldn't. I'm saying the speed with which it's all happening is overwhelming for both exactly. as people. So how do we slow it down? No, no, but you should be asking the politicians that question. You shouldn't be asking the poor woman in Hampshire who is already worried about being overrun by this immigration that is coming So you think I'm spreading fear? You are spreading fear, Ian. That's my point of view. Fair enough, Cecilia. You're absolutely absolutely within your rights to say I'm spreading fear. I don't think I'm spreading fear. I think I'm just unearthing it. I think the fear is already there. And finally, Middle England as we heard from our previous caller, is suddenly saying, you know, we've had enough as well. And that's unusual, because they are normally pretty stoical people. Cecilia, thank you. Keep listening. Uh, Terry's in Romford. What did you think of that conversation, Terry? Well, very interesting. I was in bed and I put a radio and I started listening. But look at things Good. in perspective now in this country. Would yeah. you say that prisons are full up? Yes. Would you say that hospitals are full up? Yes. Would you say that schools are full up? Yes. Would you say council housing waiting lists are yes. full up? We've had a survey Social housing. at the moment. We've yeah. got 65 million people in this country plus 2 million unaccountable in the Not black quite market. 65. Yeah, OK, 65 well, in the UK. Yeah, no, all right. No, no, gotcha, gotcha. Carry on. By the middle of the century, by, well, 2025, we're going to have 70 million people here. By the middle of the century, we're going to have 80 million people if we stay in Europe. Where does it stop? What Where is it? What is the... Just, just, just one thing. I agree with most of those figures. What's the 2 million unaccounted for? In the black market that we don't know about, that are flowing about in the You country. mean illegal immigrants who we have no record of? I'd be, I'd be amazed if it was anywhere near 2 million. So what's your point, Terry? The point is, big business want mass immigration because of cheap labour. Zero-hour contracts, mm-hmm. minimum working I've rate. heard this argument, yeah. It's not governments that run the world, it's business people. Right. They're the ones, and governments are beholden to them. Why don't people think up about it and get educated and think about things, what's going so on? So what's your vision of the future and how we... Well, you've got to stop immigration immediately. What else can we do? When you it's say stop be immigration, civil- be a bit more... civil unrest in this country in many years to come. We won't be here, but they will be. Believe- so is your view that it's because the population will be so high or the, or the sort of people that are coming here, i.e. non-British? It's, look, it's the, it's the population will be too high. He's not racist, we're realists, we can see it. We can see it. That's why people voted for Brexit. Why don't they tell the truth why we voted for Brexit? It's not for sovereignty or our own government, our own borders. It's because people voted for the immigration. Mm. It's the truth. Why do you think that prisons are fuller now? Do you, why do you think that is a direct result of immigration? Crime, basically, isn't it? Doesn't necessarily mean more. Just because more people from abroad come here doesn't mean crime goes up. Pardon me. Just because people from abroad are coming here in greater numbers than ever before doesn't necessarily correlate to the increase in crime and prison numbers. Actually, there are some crimes that are going down. Inmates in prison are foreigners. You what? Sorry. I say a third of the inmates in prison are foreigners. I don't know what the. I will try and check some stats on that, but. you think that there's something, something's brewing? 
Yeah, absolutely. It can't keep carrying on the way. People are just tolerating one another at the moment. Mm. No, I, I think about it. I wish the general public could educate themselves and have a look around and see what's going on. I think they have, and I think this is why I was very interested in uh, Jeannie, I think it was, who was from, you know, Tunbridge, very middle-class place in, in Kent, I think it was. And even she's now beginning to sort of say something, and I think that's quite a significant turn in all this. Terry, thank you very much for your call. So here's uh, 2016 estimates by the ONS. This was the population. So UK, 65.6 million. Uh, England, 55.2 million. And they reckon that in... 2020, so 2019, 20, so the 20 sort of 27-28, they reckon the English population will go up from 55 million to 60 million. Uh, totally unsustainable. That is just impossible. Scotland, currently 5.4 million uh, population. Wales, 3.1. Northern Ireland, 1.8. So everywhere this is going to happen. And suddenly there are places that have been totally unaffected by immigration. And suddenly even they are being affected now. And I'm not saying immigration is bad. I'm trying not to say it. For people like Cecilia who think I'm denigrating all immigration and all so-called foreigners, I'm not. I'm saying the speed with which it's happening now is faster than it has ever been before. Even after the rejuvenation, after the bubonic plague, it wasn't like this. And I know we had a lot more space then. All I'm saying is you cannot continue at this level I don't care who's coming here or who's not coming here. There has to be a sensible... And it, trouble with this argument, as you heard from Cecilia, is that sort of liberal or um, moderate, that's a better word, moderate views on this are being drowned out because every time you say something, people will accuse you of racism if you're on one side or um, just total incompetence if you're on the other side. And this is the problem. We can never have a sensible debate about it because people go, oh, you're a racist, you just hate all foreigners. No, I just see the infrastructure of the country straining because so many people are coming so quickly. 0345 6060973. And regarding the prisoner numbers that Terry was mentioning, prison population in England and Wales was 85,000 in 2016. Of these, just under 10,000 were foreign nationals. So that is, uh, in terms of per capita, that is a... L I'll have to work that out, but I think that is more people from as foreign nationals in prison compared to the similar ratio in society. But, well, I'll work that out. So 2016, prison population, 85,000. Of those, 10,000 were foreign nationals. Nationals. Time is a quarter to six. Ian Payne on LBC. Talking about the Office of National Statistics and their latest statistics, which talks about the population of this country growing at its fastest ever rate, and a lot of that has to do with migration, not necessarily the number of births versus the number of deaths. So look at London, for example. London, according to these figures, is projected to see its population rise faster than any other region of the UK. The number of people living in London is set to reach 9.54 million by 2026, which is almost 9% more than in 2016. Tower Hamlets in East London is expected to grow by almost 18%, making it the fastest expanding local authority in England. I'd like to ask you whether or not... It you feel that the expansion at its current rate and 
the way in which, and these figures say it, the population is now being divided by many more migrants coming to this country. Do you believe this is actually having a detrimental effect? And do we need to put some kind of restriction on all this? I know Brexit will help, but this is turning out to be a far longer process transition or otherwise than any of us expected. A couple of texts before I go to the uh, phone lines. Uh, this texter here saying the increasing population in the UK has a few dimensions responsible for it. The domestic population has naturally increased due to extended life expectancy. Also, 60 years ago, a couple may have capped the amount of children they had due to affordability. Now the benefit system almost encourages a larger family due to increased tax credit payments per child. And Mark says, do you really think, Ian, that immigration is the problem with housing and the NHS? The percentage of immigration is tiny compared to the actual population of the country. It's easy to blame immigration on everything. Listen to your caller, Terry, plucking figures out of thin air. Yes, he is. And I'm, as I've said many, many, many times, and I'll continue to say, I am not blaming people from abroad who are creating all the pressure, for some reason, our population, our population is increasing at the fastest ever rate. And even the official figures, the, even the Office of National Statistics says this is mainly due to people who are coming here from other countries quicker than they've ever done before. Surely we have to look at this in a more considered fashion without being accused of being racists. That's all I'm saying. Let's go to uh, Rob, who's in uh, Somerset. Hello, Rob. What's the story with you? Hello, bud. Yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, one thing is, well, I don't understand is, what happened to the uh, so-called law that's supposed to have come out, that they had to speak basic English and learn basic English before they came to the country? I don't think it was a law that says you have to speak English, otherwise you're not allowed in the country. But I think there is more of an emphasis on people being able to at least comprehend and or... It's often the case where someone comes over on their own, they make a bit of money, and then they bring over their family and their extended family. And, you know, the granny, you know, is from Bangladesh, she's never spoken English in her life, why should she? You know, and it's people like that. So it's not like we're saying you can't come into the country, but certainly applying for jobs and trying to get on the sort of the tax credit list, that would be expected. But anyway, sorry, I interrupted. No, that's all right. No problem at all. Uh, it's like you said, like, you know, million ways. When you was in that cafe, million yeah. ways, I bet you felt like a foreigner. I did, but I'm kind of getting used to it, because it's been like this for probably about three or four years already, maybe more. I do, I was, if anyone's wondering, I sit in Costa in Ealing and, you know, do a bit of work or whatever, and there's just no English spoken, really. But that's, I, I kind I, of got I, used I, to I, it. I think that's the problem. We're too laid back. We're you know, like you just turned around and said, I think I'm getting used to it. Yeah. But it's not it's, it's not detrimentally affecting my life, is it? No, I can understand that. But the thing is, like, you know, why should they speak their own language? If we go to another country... Yeah. ...to be able to learn... Oh, language. I think we are the worst culprits at not being able to speak any other person's language, don't you? Uh, yes and no, because... Well, I'm in my 50s. Right. And, uh, learned, uh, when I was in school, I learned Spanish. Good. I learned uh, German. Yeah. You still French. speak them now? No, I can't. There you go, you see? I'm just, uh, because of my disability, I, I can't right. hardly remember anything. Okay. And, uh, and uh, I tried having a conversation with a friend of mine in German. Right. Now, so you would, st I, you see, I think that's going far too far to say everyone's got to come here, they've got to speak English. I think that... Uh, it, 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 that and everything else and that. Say, for instance, uh, 
like do, how many how many foreigners is there that keeps on saying every time they get stopped by the police, me no English, me no English. What's the relevance of that? Uh, but they're saying they can't speak English and everything else, so they don't. All right. Well, let that that aside. That, <laughs> that aside, tell tell me what you think about these statistics that say that population is rising here faster than ever before, and it's mainly due to people coming here from abroad. What will you do to slow that down, or is there something? Or, or, or I should take a very small English exam. An English uh, exam. Uh, okay. English exam. Yes. English exam before you come in. All right. I'm not, I'm not racist at all. I do, I've got a few friends that are foreigners. I've got a few friends well that done. came over. Have a biscuit. Yeah. And that. But the thing is, what I'm not understanding is, why aren't we doing the basic exam? Okay. Like the man uh, said back in the 90s. We, we, I, I mean, it's, it's a question that's been asked many times. I'm not quite absolutely relevant here. I don't think that's necessarily going to be the problem, but it might be. Let's go to Louis, who's been listening in uh, Sidcup in Kent. Hello, Louis. Hello there. What do you think about these statistics and what you've heard? Right. Well, uh, I own a, a small plumbing firm with my business partner. Mm-mm. Both white English people. Mm-hmm. Um... We've been to a few building sites, mm. and there's been numerous other plumbers from other countries, Romania, Albania, etc. Um, when you get talking to them, they've done their qualifications in three hours online, and at one point, one of them said, my friend done it for me for three hours. They get a card, which allows you on site as a skilled operative, when it took me and my business partner four or five years to sort of get to that. So if you've done that much more training, you must be much better than your competition. The, they they give you the same... They they give you, like, in other words, you're a skilled operative. So you've got the same certificate so, as someone who's only done it for three hours. Well, we've got a little bit better than them but they're still classed as a skilled operative, and they've done a three-year... So what's, what's your point? What's, your, what's the point of mentioning this within the context of the discussion we're having now? Because these are the people who are building, rebuilding England for us. And, and their attitude to it is, well, if it goes wrong, it goes wrong, I'll just go back home. Yeah, you see, my, my experience of, of this, and I had a, a friend of mine who was broadcasting once and talked about, you know, oh, don't send the poles home, I need my kitchen decorated, and he got absolutely hauled over the coals for it. But in a way, he was kind of right, because, you know, a lot of Polish people are, you know, handy men or women. But I find the work's really good. Am I, am I wrong? I, f- I think you are wrong. Oh, OK. I think you are wrong. Cause they, the work, their, their attitude to the work is... Show me how to do it, and I'll do it. Right. If I turned up to the site and said to someone, "Show me how to do it, and I'll get on and do it for you," but if people and they turn up with no tools, but if, if people that I mean that the, the sort of basic rules of life say that if you're not as good as someone else, eventually you'll be found out, won't you? Well, yeah, you will be found out. So why aren't they being they found out? How come they're out? building England, as you say? Well, because they turn up on site. If I turn up on the site and say to you, I am a plumber, yeah. you've got to take it for granted that I am a plumber. Oh, I'd like to see your and, uh, and corgi membership or whatever it is. 
Well, this is how far in the dark, uh, dark ages you are, because you ain't corky no more. See? It's gas safe. There you go, gas <laughs> safe. That's what I need to see. Listen, I, I appreciate your call. I know I know exactly what you're talking about, Louis, and I know that a lot of people doing the sort of things that you are doing are, wor- are worried about that, and you think that they're, you know, they're not as good. But um, I, I maintain that is not really the problem. The problem is not people coming here and undercutting workers, which I understand that people get angry about. Thank you for the call, by the way. It's just, it really is, it's just this explosion of people suddenly arriving and the, the speed at which this has happened, and I would say it's, it's happened, I mean, literally just five, in the last five years, it's been absolutely incredible all over the country as well. And again, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. All I'm saying is we must just put the brakes on a little bit. Otherwise, it, it, it just you can't have three million people coming in. How long is it? Three million people in about seven years. That is just, you can't do it. Let's move on. Uh, let's talk about Harvey Weinstein. Let's talk about Morgan Freeman. Good morning. If you're just waking this morning, Hollywood actor Morgan Freeman has been involved in all this now. He's apologised after eight women accused him of being a sex pest. He didn't deny any of the allegations, but he merely said he was sorry for unintentionally making women feel uneasy. He claimed it was never his intent. The Screen Actors Guild, though, have taken a dim view. They say they are now considering taking away Morgan Freeman's Lifetime Achievement Award. This on the same day that Hollywood producer Harvey Weinstein is due to surrender himself into police in New York for the first time on sexual misconduct charges, which he denies. So I'm wondering, because this is where it all began with the Me Too campaign, has this Me Too campaign actually affected your life in any way? This is LBC from Global, leading Britain's conversation with Ian Payne. Hi, good morning. It is four minutes past six o'clock. It's a Friday morning. Ian Payne in for Steve Allen. He's had his cataract operation. He's absolutely fine. We're going to talk about Harvey Weinstein. We're going to talk about the Me Too campaign and whether or not this has actually impinged on your life at all. It kind of has on mine, but not in any significant way. I don't think so, but maybe we'll be able to explore that in the next 55 minutes. So Harvey Weinstein is due to be arrested today, basically. He's going to surrender himself to New York police on sexual misconduct charges. As I say, he faces arrest for the first time. He's been hit with numerous allegations, including rape and sexual assault, but he has denied non-consensual sex with anyone. It would be the first time Weinstein has been charged since the accusations emerged. Allegations triggered the Me Too movement, which sought to demonstrate the widespread prevalence of sexual abuse and harassment. High-profile figures in the entertainment world have been accused, and the most recent of all was the US film star Morgan Freeman, who's apologised following allegations of sexual misconduct from eight women. Weinstein will face charges over an allegation brought by the actor Lucia Evans, the New York Times reported. It's not clear if he faces more charges brought by other accusers. And Gwyneth Paltrow has been talking about her relationship, or otherwise, with Harvey Weinstein as well. Uh, The Hollywood actress appeared on Howard Stern's radio show and told him that Harvey Weinstein propositioned her once. We had one instance in a hotel room where he tried to, where he made a pass at me. And then I really kind of stood up to him. I told my boyfriend at the time. Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt, who... By the way, I love him for this. I love him for this, too. You told him, hey, Harvey just did something really weird. And Harvey's moves are weird. It was weird. Yeah. It was weird. 
And I... And you were alone in a room. I was alone too. in a room with him. Did you have any vibe leading up to that, that he might be dangerous? Definitely not. He just comes out of the blue with it. It was out of the blue. And he, he felt like a father figure, probably. Yeah. You felt like this I was protected blindsided. daughter. And then all of a sudden, let's go take a massage. Yeah. That's the move. That was the move. And he's naked? or No, no, no. no, no. He no. was fully clothed. Fully clothed. I didn't... No. No I, bathrobe. So it's like, here's a guy who's your... He's like a dad to you. Yeah, I was shocked. So that was Gwyneth Paltrow speaking on Howard Stern's radio show. Um, she also went on to say that uh, she told Brad Pitt about it. And Brad Pitt actually confronted Harvey Weinstein and threatened to, you know, kill him. And Harvey Weinstein then backed off. Listening to that is uh, Dr. Jocelyn Lehrer, founder and director of the Men's Story Project. It's a movement which aims to end gender-based violence by promoting healthier ideas of masculinity. Um, what's a healthier idea of masculinity, Jocelyn? Hi, uh, good, good morning. Good morning. Uh, well, so healthy masculinities are basically any expression of masculinity that supports the health and well-being of men themselves and the people of all genders around them. You know, I think around the world, oftentimes there's a misconception that there's just one true way to, quote-unquote, be a man. And oftentimes those stereotypical uh, notions are uh, have a lot of harmful ideas embedded in them. And so healthy masculinities, are, it just means expressing yourself as a male human in the world in any kind of way that supports the health and well-being of yourself and others. Uh, gender, supporting gender equality, supporting equitable relationships between men and women in all aspects of life, uh, being uh, respectful of people of all uh, identities and orientations and backgrounds. It's actually fairly straightforward. Do you, <laughs> you know, no, I completely understand that. What I'm, I'm interested to know whether or not you think that the Me Too campaign in terms of the relationship between men and women or people who are you know, of sexual attraction or however we want to couch it, has it changed the way we think and, more importantly, behave? I think that the Me Too movement is definitely helping people understand more about sexual assault. It's helping people understand that survivors are to be believed. Uh, for the very, very vast most part, what people report tends to be true. Mm. Um, it's important to support survivors. Um, it's important to... Um, understand that you know that power dynamics can play a role in terms of whether people choose to report or not, and so it's important to work to dismantle uh, systems that support uh, violent predators or yeah. predators of all. Of all. Okay, so listen, let's you know, so do we, but do we make a distinction between those people who have committed serious sexual offences, as you say, sexual predators, and people who are now being accused in Hollywood of using inappropriate language, asking what someone's wearing, touching them on the knee or the shoulder in what would be construed? And, uh, should we make a distinction between that, or is it all the same crime? Well, it's certainly not all the same crime, but it's all problematic, and it all needs to go, it, it all needs to end, right? So there are many forms of uh, assault. Uh, there's harassment, uh, which is more this kind of behavior that you were just describing, um, and it all needs to end. So I think that the Me Too moment that we're in, in order to seize it most uh, well, we need to really seize it to talk about healthy masculinities writ large. Um, we need to engage men in 
thinking about how they can be allies and actors to prevent uh, assault and harassment. You know, most men are not in favor of assault and harassment, right? But most many men have not uh, spoken up every time that they hear sexist or misogynistic things being said. Many men uh, may have seen assaults uh, being you know, planned or people talking about uh, what they're planning to do and not intervened. Uh, so we need to establish a culture where it becomes more normal for men to speak up when they hear their friends saying sexist, misogynistic, homophobic things. Uh, men need to intervene when they see acts of harassment or assault happening um, and so on. You know, and there's a lot of, and men need to mentor other men and need to call out other men and, you know, take action so that these problems happen less. And do you think there's any danger whatsoever that this campaign and others like it could actually go too far? Um, I don't... <laughs> what does is, what is too far mean? Too far yeah, I means, I, I suppose, you are... You are you are you're limiting any kind of um, I suppose contact between the sexes would be one way of putting it. You are you are beginning to get into an area where men will be too scared to even make any kind of approach to anyone ever. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I don't think that that's where we need to be heading, and I don't think that that's um, you know a natural potential of it. I, I think that. It's good for men to. I think what you're pointing to is that many men are feeling uncomfortable, right? And we're just we're, we're just feeling uh, our way a bit I, here. Yeah, yeah, which is good. I think that that kind of reflection is very good. Um, so for men to reflect on their own past behavior and think about, have I ever been coercive? You know, have I ever done anything that could be viewed as abusive? Uh, have I ever abused the position of power? Um, have I ever uh, sexual with somebody who is under under the influence to the point you know to a point where they weren't really able to consent because they were intoxicated. Um, and so I think that it's good to reflect on those things. Um, and then moving forward, I think that men can always um, take more action, like I'm saying, you know so uh, educating themselves on issues of gender equality. Um, mentoring younger boys on how to be equitable and respectful in relationships and so on. So, so no, I, I don't think that there's really a such thing as, quote-unquote, taking this too far. I think it's a matter about using the moment constructively. Thanks for talking to us. Dr Jocelyn Lehrer, who's the founder and director of the Men's Story Project. So... What's your view? I know, you know, this is, it's, 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 this is not a conversation that certainly I've been having as in the sort of forefront of, um, of topics at the moment. I think what this has done, and certainly, again, I tend to sort of think of myself as um, middling, as kind of Mr. Normal, as every man, as they used to say in those medieval plays. So I tend to think of myself as kind of Mr. Down-the-middle average normal. And my view of this whole me too thing is i i there's yeah i have definitely questioned or at least i've had to rethink things when i've been particularly in a work environment i find the work environment has changed to such a degree now i started in the sort of late 80s early 90s and you know i worked in a sports room and it was you know we played cricket all day and we just you know there were there weren't very many women around and we probably said things that would just be re regarded as remarkably you know i remember playing cricket once and someone from another news 
organization came in and she got hit in the face and she just turned around and said oh your testosterone valley she called us we we're all laughing and laughing and laughing but you know that wouldn't happen anymore so i've noticed that the workplace particularly for men has changed in a huge way obviously there are more and more women in the workplace now and that idea of kind of and you see it every so often when you see a story in the city about a, a, a woman who feels she's being sort of sexually harassed or she's getting getting given a completely different treatment to any of the men in the office because the men um, i mean i'm sure that's still happening in the city and i'm sure it's still happening in certain but it's definitely in this industry in the media industry and its association with entertainment industry that you know the rules are very strict now uh, I saw an example of it the other day and I thought sh I should have and, and a few hours later I thought I should have stepped in and said something but I haven't quite got to that stage yet where someone was saying something and it was kind of bullying in a way you know a couple of guys laughing at a girl and I said to her afterwards quietly you know I didn't say anything in front of them afterwards I went up to her and said you know are you okay and she went oh it happens all the time I get used to it and I was kind of thinking well you seem quite strong I and mean, you don't seem like you've been defeated by this so I kind of felt okay that was fine I won't but that's the sort of thing I would never have done even five years ago and goodness me I'm not trying to make myself out to be a saint but after but but it what it does is let's take the for example the office relationship all right how has all this me too campaign affected the office relationship the casual banter between men and women a great friend of mine works in a very male environment you know but she's quite kind of male outlook and she gives as good as she gets and when I listen to some of the things that she tells me about the things that they say in their office I'm absolutely amazed but because she's probably just as crude as they are that's okay but you have to be so careful now don't you so I want to know whether or not this me too campaign in the light of what Harvey Weinstein's having to do today probably get arrested for the first time Morgan Freeman now not admitting to anything but saying I apologize if I offended anyone rather than saying I didn't do it interesting so it's kind of this it but to, to me there's a difference between this abuse of power which is like I'm this film star I'm I'm I, I run Miramax or whatever it is but I have the strength to be able to say to you, I want this. And, and Harvey Weinstein's, obviously, his actions just go beyond anything that we probably ever considered. But, you know, what what about the, the star of a film saying something? You know, it's a, you've got... You're, if you're a Hollywood actor, you can imagine the adrenaline pumping and all the rest of it. And the flirting goes on all the time. So let's take that aspect of it. For What about office relationships? The, the relationships, and I want to stick to... I know that there are, you know, it, it, it's it's not necessarily a heterosexual thing, but if we, we just sort of the vague parameters of this, it started with that. Men's predatory nature to women and how that's affected you. I think it's made me sort of think before I say or do things now. Like the other day, I literally, someone sorted something out for me and I said, thank you, darling, and I put my hand on her shoulder. And as I did it, I thought, oh, one, have I kind of invaded a space now? Two, can I say the word darling? It just makes you kind of think. It didn't matter, but it just every, just thinking more and more and more. So how has it affected you? It hasn't affected me in any grand scale, but it certainly made me have a think. And as my friends would always say to me, Ian, turn on your filter. OK, I'll try. You're listening to LBC. This is Ian Payne in for Steve Allen. We're talking about whether the Me Too campaign has actually affected your lives at all. It's 6.15, the news headline. Ian Payne on LBC. Call 0345 6060 973. 
just to give you some more information about that breaking news we heard in the news, police say two men detonated a device inside the Bombay Beal restaurant in Mississauga in Canada, which is a uh, suburb of Toronto. More than a dozen people have been injured after that device was detonated inside that restaurant. About 15 people were taken to hospital after the blast. Three people had critical injuries. That's according to the local paramedic service saying in a tweet. Uh, the local police have said on Twitter that two men had detonated a device inside the restaurant. The men fled the scene shortly after the incident. The blast occurred just after 10.30pm local time, media reported. So that is about three o'clock this morning, something like that. Uh, the blast comes a month after a driver ploughed his white rider rental van into a lunch hour crowd in Toronto, killing 10 people and injuring 15. So that's a developing story, and we'll bring you up to date with anything more that we have on it for you throughout the morning. We're talking about the Me Too campaign. We're talking about Harvey Weinstein. Today will be arrested for the first time when he surrenders himself to the police. It appears he's denied any non-consensual sexual contact with anyone. Morgan Freeman has said sorry if he's offended anyone or did anything that offended anyone after eight women accused him of inappropriate behaviour. So, and, and I wouldn't, I, you know, we don't often say this, but I would particularly like to hear from men this hour. Do you think that this Me Too campaign has gone too far? Do you think it could ever go too far? Do you think or has it changed the way that you relate in every sense of the word to women or people of the opposite sex or people of sexual attraction to you? 0345 973 How many male bosses, says Ian from Essex, have married their female secretaries? This probably started with the boss asking her out. Is that an abuse of power? Sad state for men nowadays. And I do... Uh, you know, from the kind of men's world that I inhabit, this is the this is the sentiment from a lot of men. It's like, well, what do we do now? If I fancy somebody, am I saying I can't go and talk to them anymore in case they they could do me for some sort of sexual impropriety? You know, if, um, my girlfriend is suddenly going to turn around one day and accuse me of something awful, where because she suddenly got the idea in her head. These these may to you as women listening be absolutely ridiculous and far out concepts, but it's how men are thinking. We're a bit confused now, um, and I think it's not just office behaviour, is it? A lot of this is about office behaviour, i.e., in the theatre, in wherever it is. Harvey Weinstein carried out his nefarious ways, but th this is something happening in modern society now. You are, like I said, I touched someone on the shoulder and called her darling the other day, and immediately afterwards I thought that could be construed as something that is inappropriate. So we're a bit confused. First of all, let's go to Cara, who's in Bromley. Hello, Cara. Hello, nice to speak to you. Hello to you. What do you think um, of the Me Too campaign? Well, I, I feel rather sorry for men, actually, in particular at the moment. <laughs> Don't we all? Um, I, think that, I think the campaign is very important, but it has fundamentally changed the, um, the dynamics of the office. It office has, hasn't it? You're, you're absolutely you right. Really yeah. And, uh, I mean, in, in the way that... Uh, I, I see it myself in the way in which it used to be just normal office banter, yeah. having a laugh, having yeah. a joke, you put, your arm on it, you put your arm on the colleague's shoulder just to yeah. get their attention as they're typing or whatever. Um, or, yeah, the, the, just the usual kind of banter that goes on, and sexist jokes are probably completely out of the question now as well. Oh, sexist jokes, um, um, any jokes about any, 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 
you know, a joke is often funny because it's based in some element of truth, but you literally cannot Absolutely. say anything about any section of society now because you're Indeed. going... Sorry. Um, also, as I mentioned to your, the, your chapter on the saying, um, I, I have noticed that, I mean, I feel some, I feel some kind of, excuse me, sometimes call people honey and darling and so forth. <gasps> now, if a woman, a woman can say it to a woman, that's absolutely fine. Yeah. If a bloke says it to a woman, oh, they're probably going to be in for trouble, aren't they? Well, when I started work, and I, my first radio job was in Radio Lancashire in the late, late 80s up in Blackburn, then we had a big story about the local Lancashire County Council were trying to ban the use of the word love when someone said, you know, in, in Lancashire, hey, love, it's kind of, well, it's what people it's say. Normal. It's like saying, let's ban it's it from Coronation that, Street. I know. An old lady so the first to call me love. So what do you think? I mean, we, no one, no one in their right minds would disapprove of Me Too when it is talking about sexual harassment, when it's talking about, you know, sexual assault in any particular form. But now, are we going too far? Sorry. Do you May think I make one, one very closely, I think, related point? Yeah. I mean, I am a meter. I've been raped three times and assaulted numerous times. Oh. And, you know, people are well aware of that. Right. Um, but one thing which I do think is fundamentally awful about this is that women can say whatever they want. When it comes down to a prosecution for these things, for rape in particular, the women's identities can be protected and the men's cannot. And I think that is absolutely atrocious. Mm. Yeah, uh, and I do think that makes things really quite dangerous because it puts women at liberty to say anything they want. And I'm not—I'm by no means a disbeliever, of course, my own experience. Um, but who knows? Who knows? I'm sure that most of the uh, I—I I, I think we're all a bit, conf- yeah. a bit confused, but um, we'll we'll find our way eventually. Cara, thank you. Uh, Ob says, "Me Too campaign hasn't had any. This, this is a man, by the way, hasn't had any impact on my life. Mainly because I was brought up to be respectful. There should be no confusion around this." And Anne in Blackburn. Hello, how is Blackburn today? Where I used to work near the bone crushing factory. What a smell! Uh, when and where did life get so complicated? I certainly don't agree with bullying in the workplace, schools, etc. Are we all about to become so grey and dull and robotic? Back in the day, we had a sense of humour. Also, like you had contact with someone, a gentle tap or even console a person with a cuddle. But now, you're out there watching, waiting the PC brigade, just waiting for you to put a foot wrong in their PC eyes, says Anne in Blackburn. So does anyone out there think that the Me Too campaign's gone too far? Can a campaign like this actually go too far? Um, the trouble is it's linked to Harvey Weinstein and everything that we're hearing about Harvey Weinstein's activities, you know, it makes the, the, the blood curl, doesn't it? The things that he was doing. But So unfortunately what's happening is that when you say Me Too, it's almost as if you can't say anything against it because in some way you're... You're, you're supporting Harvey Weinstein. So Harvey Weinstein's wife, or ex-wife now, the fashion designer, everyone used to wear her label. Everyone used to wear her dresses, etc., at, at the big Hollywood do's. And then because of association, she refused... Uh, she was refused um, any kind of entrance into that, into that world anymore. No one would wear her dresses because they thought, if I wear a dress, it's supporting Harvey Weinstein. And then I think... Oh, I'm going to get this wrong, aren't I? Who was the actress who actually said, do you know what, I'm going to wear one anyway? Was it Jodie Foster? It, it was someone anyway, sorry, I'll look it up, who wore one of her dresses. And you suddenly thought, 
Yeah, why not? And and sometimes I think that these movements, while incredibly laudable, get a little bit hijacked, and you feel as though they are um, they become too worthy, and you're not allowed to do any. That you know, their 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 tentacles stretch out too far, and you're not allowed to do anything. And that's how I felt about that Marquesa, isn't it? I think the name of the fashion brand that she's got, and. She, literally no one would buy her from having been all the a-listers no one would actually put her dresses on again and then someone i think i can't remember who it was d- did this and then it was and that and you think yeah why not well she's now that she's totally innocent his wife ex-wife she didn't know what was going on so i want to know whether or not you think that the, the me too campaign has gone too far or still not far enough and has it had any effect on your life at all. Uh, we're going to cross to Ontario in about 10 minutes time for more on the news that that bomb has gone off in a restaurant near Toronto. Time now is Ian Payne on LBC. Call 0345 6060973. Uh, coming up with Nick Ferrari at breakfast in about 25 minutes time. Nick's going to bring you the very latest on the collapse of Donald Trump's summit with King Jong-un. As Ireland heads to the polls for a historic referendum on abortion, Nick will host a live in-studio discussion with both sides of the argument. Plus, Nick will also bring you an exclusive LBC investigation into anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. That's all with Nick Ferrari at breakfast this morning from 7 here on LBC. So we're talking about the Me Too campaign. As I say, we'll get an update from Toronto and the uh, detonation of what sounds like some sort of bomb in an Indian restaurant in a suburb of Toronto in just a moment. But first of all, I want to continue with our discussion about... uh, It was Scarlett Johansson. Thank you very much, Jean in Fulham. It was Scarlett Johansson who wore the dress, Marquise dress, by the uh, the ex-wife of Harvey Weinstein, wasn't it? And it was truly stunning. Jean says people are afraid to put a foot wrong following the Me Too campaign. Understandably so, because this is the kind of area you can get into where it can be if not career-threatening, then possibly career-defining, as Morgan Freeman is finding out, and as Matt Damon found out. Now, Matt Damon wasn't necessarily accused of anything particularly underhand or nefarious, but he had to apologise, I think it was December, wasn't it, for controversial comments regarding the Me Too movement and, and recent sexual misconduct revelations. He was talking on the Today Show in America, the TV version, and whilst discussing his upcoming um, Super Bowl ad, he uh, he was asked uh, about the backlash he received over comments made on another programme where he said sexual misconduct should be judged on a spectrum of behaviour. And he was saying there's a difference between, you know, someone larking about on set, you know, and, and touching someone on the shoulder or, or wherever it might be compared to sexual assault. And he took a load of backlash on that as well he said i wish i'd listened a lot but more before i weighed in on this one ultimately what it is for me is i don't want to further anyone's pain with anything that i do or say and so for that i'm really sorry so he kind of got himself into a situation where he was saying he was trying to be honest but when you start being honest on a subject like this you can get yourself into hot water and you can find yourself saying things because you know this is this is quite a sort of and i don't mean this in in a um in in a it's a sort of pointed way but, you know, it's quite a kind of, it's quite a fascist organisation in a way, because it's like you, you just can't say anything that might be seen as softening the Me Too campaign, and I'm certainly not, because you can be attacked from all sides. Speak to a man, here's David in Highgate. What do you think, David? 
Good morning, Ian. Morning. Um, first of all, I must say I'm delighted that the uh, lady who spoke earlier... Um, am I allowed to say the word lady? Is it politically correct? I'm, I think you can allow to I say lady. Am I abusive or a representative of the patriarchy by using no. the word lady? Lady's I good. Know. I'm in lady. already. I'm in hot water, aren't I? Woman, <laughs> academic, doctor, professor, whichever you prefer. Right. Well, uh, the other thing, Ian, my goodness me, I'm, I'm really on a roll this morning. It's only half six. I think you use the word fascist. I mean, I wouldn't quite go that far, but in terms of feminism, it has become extremely abusive and coercive. Now, I- I'm totally in favour of gender equality, no, no question about that, and I very much hope that 50% of the people at LBC are women and that the women, is, there's no gender pay gap, etc., etc. There's no problem there. But in terms of feminism, it's all about social control. It's all about the acquisition of power in society, and um, whether or not it's fascist, I don't know, but it, it's certainly Orwellian. All of their slogans and um, all of their battle cries, um, it's basically new speak because you have to completely fundamentally revise the way you talk about the genders or society in general. It's about double think. So you have to say things which you may not even believe. And above all else, it's about the two minute hate. Hate, hate, hate. And of course, we have. The what? To hate the two minute hate? Time. What's that? That's that. That's in 1984, Ian. Ah, right. Know, double speak. Ah, double speak. I know the two-minute double think and you speak. What's the two-minute hate? School. What's the two-minute well, hate? Ian. Okay, in 1984. Yeah, I'm sure George Orwell. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, that you have the whole of society focused savagely on uh, around a figure who is absolutely hated. I mean, Orwell borrowed it from. Stalin and Trotsky. Everybody in the Soviet Union was ordered to hate Trotsky, and if they didn't, they were sent to the gulag. Ah, uh, I have a little pre. I have a little. Pre- I have a little pricey of it here. To the two minutes hate ah. from 1984 is a daily period in which party members of the Society of Oceania must watch a film depicting the party's enemies, notably Emmanuel Goldstein and his followers, and then yes. express their hatred for them for exactly yes. two minutes. Gotcha. Well, isn't that what we're doing with Harvey Weinstein? I'm not saying anything positive about him. God forbid. Yeah, that's the point. You, know, you see, you immediately, you immediately have to say that. I have to say that as well. Stay to. there, David, because I've got someone on the line who uh, may have a slightly different view. Uh, David in Highgate, here's Mark in Hackney. Mark, what's your view and what you've heard? Completely <laughs> opposed to that. Um, the Me Too campaign, I think, is about recognising that there are some women in society where behaviour truly affects them, not all women. We're going to get women in this morning phoning up saying, I think it's too much, it doesn't affect me. But it's not about them. It's about the women that do have problems with advances for men, that are made to feel uncomfortable, that are made to feel second-class citizens in a society that accepts that kind of behaviour for men. And I want to compare it with something. I grew up in the 70s, where attitudes to black people were very, very negative, and racism was in abundance. And the movement to stop that got the same kind of criticism that Me Too is now. People would often say, this is ridiculous, the problem is actually... Right, well, let's actually take that example. Has that, has that anti-racist position changed society, or has it merely it made those... It moved forward tremendously. I, I can use the example of the Gollywog. When it was first, first suggested that that was an, a racist symbol, people up in arms saying, it's absurd, it's just a cartoon, it should be, it should be left alone. Okay. The fact is now, most sane-minded people acknowledge it's an inappropriate um, symbol, and it right. has been removed from our society, and, it's, and, and people have benefited because of that. So the fact that some people disagree with me too, is just about, it doesn't affect them. But it's our job as the majority 
to look at the minority has, of harm effect. Okay, and has it? Bias. It's of course. I don't. I think everyone would agree. It is. Um, it's a cause for good. But has it perhaps gone too far now? In your opinion, Mark? Well, as, as I said again, I'll use the comparison. Everybody said it was going too far with racism. We're making too many. Um, changes to suit black people is not needed. But it was needed. It re- society needed to kick up the butt, to wake up to the fact that we were inherently racist, and we needed to be pushed forward on that, and we have been. Mm. And we are inherently sexist towards women, and men need to understand that in some cases, not all cases, behaviour is completely inappropriate. And if you live in a society that's supporting that behaviour, those men can't work out what's inappropriate. If you live in a society that makes men question that behaviour, that's a positive thing for everybody. Mm. No, I see that. David, do you want to come back? I certainly do. Well, uh, you know, Mark, um, what you said about racism in itself is entirely legitimate, and I'm certainly equally as opposed to racism as I am to sexism. But, you know, analogies only work so far. And um, I would say that if there really was sexism within British society, um, it's basically dissipated completely. I think, you know, we've gone too far. I'd like to mention um, a friend of mine. I have many female friends, precisely because I'm not in any remotely way sexist and I never make inappropriate advances, etc., etc. And she's from Eastern Europe. And she said, what is the problem with English men? I I said, what what do you mean? Are, Are they being sexist? She said, no, on the contrary. Englishmen are actually terrified of approaching women. They really feel intimidated, they feel browbeaten, they're terrified that the woman will reject them. Hold on, let Mark come back. Come back, Mark. But David, you, you, you frame that as something so bad. The British men question how we treat and respect women. You present that as a negative. That's something we should be proud of. Because, Mark, it's basically about the desexualization of society to an extent where well, there's virtually the no, so there's no flirting anymore, Mark. And I'm afraid it's thanks to people like you, but people like you were very good-natured and principled. I, I can understand that. But I think it's but gone David, what you've just said, far. can I point out? What you've said is you want to have the right to flirt with any woman in the way that you feel appropriate, regardless of how it makes her feel. That's what you're saying to me. I'm you're saying, saying you that have I want that right. women to... Fi- no, 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 no. I'm not saying that at you all. Are. I mean, you're, you ca- you're a, coming at that so from the point of view of a patriarchy. How do you know you're being appropriate? Because, you're well, made not that first, because your foreign <laughs> friend has made that decision, doesn't make it a fact. If the person well, you're I mean, doing it to is uncomfortable, your actions are inappropriate. Mark, That's you're acting like and you're all of us the- males are oppressors, members of the patriarchy and speak of the cruel and vile towards women. You see, here you what go. we're getting exactly is a complete sterile exactly ground between men and women. Exactly the argument aimed at racism. And that's bad. It's exactly the men are afraid of women and no, no longer flirting. Nothing to do with racism whatsoever. Men are a terrified no, of women. Same, How do I know that? Because women have told me the that. same attitude that the move is too great and that you have lost your right. You're just being made... Um, the analogy it. doesn't work whatsoever. There's no analogy there at all. You're creating a world, Mark, in which this country has become paranoid about patriarchy and it's being driven good. by oppressive good, and good, coercive third-wave feminism, which is ruining society. David, we are a patriotic society, and that has well, patriotic society, and that has to Boys, I, 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 could, I could listen to Not this. Not the view of the majority of women, Mark. David. So you're trying too hard. David, it's, Mark, yeah. I could listen, honestly, I could listen to this for a long, long time, but you, you've encapsulated the argument perfectly, and if it weren't for the fact we have to have junctions on a radio station, I would have continued to listen much more. But there you are. Is it emancipation, or is it actually 
tying down masculinity. 03456060973 is the number to ring. Ian Payne on LBC. Right, let's get the very latest on that explosion in a restaurant in Toronto. Uh, Nick Wastel is a reporter for Global News, a Canadian news outlet, nothing to do with Global here. So what's happened and what do we know, Nick? Good morning, Ian. Morning. Yeah, uh, uh, Peel Regional Police, which is the local police service in Mississauga, they were called around 10.30 p.m. our time um, with a report of an explosion. And um, after they arrived, uh, I spoke with paramedics, they told me, that uh, 15 people were injured, three of whom were injured critically. The other two, sorry, the other 12 had um, superficial minor injuries, but they're still uh, being assessed by medical personnel at local hospitals. And what about the people that exploded this device? Yeah, so uh, approximately uh, an hour ago, uh, police put out an update on their social media channel saying they were looking for two suspects who, quote, uh, detonated an improvised explosive device inside the restaurant. Um, of course, 10.30 a time, uh, it would have been quite busy. Uh, weather is quite nice here. Um, they're looking for two parties who uh, left the scene, and uh, that's where it sits right now. So the, they're still looking actively for these two people? Correct. Two men, uh, one of them described to be in their 20s, um, they have put out a photo. Uh, it appears to be from the lobby of a business uh, showing two people uh, walking in. Okay, and this obviously comes at a time when, uh, just a month, wasn't it, when 10 people were killed and 15 were injured after a driver drove his van into lunch hour crowds in, in Toronto. So the place is very sensitive at the moment. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And in fact, it was just two days ago where we marked uh, the one-month anniversary, and people are still grieving. Um, people who work in the area on Young Street, there are makeshift memorials that are still up that people are stopping by. So, yeah, definitely um, it's not sitting well with many people. And, of course, I've had several people reach out on Twitter have been posting updates throughout the evening and um, into the morning, and a lot of people are um, uh, understandably quite anxious. Okay, Rick. Thanks very much. Nick Westall, who's a reporter in Toronto. Obviously, more on that with Nick Ferrari in his breakfast programme. We're talking about the Me Too campaign for the next five, six minutes. Hollywood's um, Harvey Weinstein is expected to be arrested today as he surrenders himself to New York police on sexual misconduct charges. If you haven't heard the news, Morgan Freeman has now apologised following allegations of sexual misconduct from eight different women. And I'm wondering whether or not you think that the Me Too campaign has changed the way... You view relationships with women, with men, um, sexual conduct, misconduct, or do you think it's gone maybe a little bit too far? Carol thinks it's gone too far. She says, talking of the Me Too movement, when are women agreeing to meet a known sex pest in a hotel room to, dis to discuss film scripts ever held accountable? Weinstein had a company, and one presumes a company office. Why meet the guy in a hotel room? This movement is snowballing out of hand. I feel sorry for men and little sympathy for the ever-whinging feminists constantly ready to leap at their throat for even breathing near women. Andrea is in Gloucestershire. What's your view of that? Hello. Hello. Yes, my view is, my view is uh, there are welcome advances, none welcome, and it's quite simple. A welcome advance is if you like somebody and fancy someone and they fancy you, then that's fabulous. Or if a man walks past, I remember when I used to work in London, was walking down, I don't know, Oxford Street, and a man said, you're lovely. I didn't take umbrage. I thought, how 
I, I, I agree with you totally, but how do we, say as men, know mm. whether our advance is going to be welcome or unwelcome? Well, an unwelcome one. I was on a train once, sitting with my knees together nicely, and a man leant down, literally leant right down, and peered up my skirt, and I moved compartment, <laughs> and the man followed me, and again sat opposite me and peered up my skirt. That, that that's sort of behaviour's never, that's advice. never been acceptable. <laughs> what about this one? Let me give me the, um, I, I, I write my phone number down on a piece of paper, and as I get out of the tube, I hand it to a girl I've been looking at on the tube. Is that now not allowed? Uh, I personally, I mean, it, 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 it's like, as always, it depends. If, if there's a mutual liking, then I don't see that that harms you. Pass it. If you don't like the chap, you just throw the piece of paper away. So it's OK for a good-looking chap to do it, but not an ugly one? I'm not saying, saying good-looking, but we all know there are the sort of sleazy ones that press against you or this. So, you know, I remember working in an office years ago, and they had a lap dancer come into the office to give some old boy a dance in the office. And I found that uncomfortable and disgusting. You know, if someone chooses to do that job and somebody chooses to go to a club, fair enough, the girl gets money off the man, that's, that's fine. But not in an office situation to have somebody rising with baby oil. Um, I thought, uh, you know, I felt uncomfortable and that was wholly inappropriate. OK, but and what know, about that taking place in a pub now? Again, it's like page three. I was very anti-page three, and again, no, I wouldn't want that in a pub if I was... And one, one final question, because it will be happening all this weekend in Monte Carlo. The Grid Girls, do you know what they are? Yep. The ones for Formula One are back. Yep. Everyone says they love it, they have a choice, they don't have to do it if they don't want to. Your view on that? Uh, again, it's, you know, if you're draped over a car, legs akimbo, no, not keen. No. They're they're just waving a flag? Waving a flag, really? I think, you know, who doesn't like seeing a pretty girl, a handsome man? Well said. Uh, Auden is in uh, Surrey. I've never spoken to anyone called Auden before. Hello, Auden. Uh-huh. Hello, good morning. Morning. Uh, I, I, I would just like to say one thing. I just think people got to have respect for themselves. Um, I think sometimes we put ourselves in a position that it becomes very incriminating. I mean, women will float themselves um, to get into positions and then they, they get exploited. And sometimes they'll get a position and they, they will say, oh, this person abused me or whatever the case may be. What do you mean but they'll exploit their positions to get a position? Yeah, because sometimes people will sell themselves to get into jobs and positions like wearing low-cut top, revealing themselves to get the attention of their bosses. And I, sometimes I think we all have to be accountable for the way we act and behave. Um... And, and promote ourselves. So I do believe that we all have a responsibility to uh, restrain and respect each other. Fair you enough. Know, I we think have to, we have we have to know the boundaries. And sometimes people don't know the boundaries because sometimes we're not even taught. Um, as growing up, we're well, certainly way. not. And I and I, I I can't. You know, if we have if I have lessons in behaviour towards other human beings, I mean, what kind of how long will that go on for? Thank you, Warden. I'm going to end it there. A couple of um, texts to read out before Nick gets here. Uh, Ian says, Jenny, verbal assaults on mates um, by Me Too virtue-signalling feminists are committing gender crimes. They confuse and disparage all men and encourage other stupid females to follow suit. Don't posture as avowed feminists. 
uh, darlings. We va- You're allowed to say that? We value our men, even though we had women's lib in the 60s. Are you uh, having... Yeah, exactly. Quite. So that's that whole idea of this whole issue gone too crazy and too far. Thanks for your company this morning. I'll be back with you tomorrow from four with the normal Saturday show. Steve will be back on Sunday from five o'clock. Make sure you can download the LBC app, by the way. You can listen back to anything that you've heard uh, for free on the last week. Just download the LBC app for iPhone or Android and tap on Catch Up. It's as simple as that. You're listening to LBC. I'm Ian Payne. Coming up at ten, it's James O'Brien. But first up here on LBC, it's Nick Ferrari at breakfast. This is LBC.